燃え上がれガンダム限界なんてない絶対なんてない限界なんてない敵君の言葉に憧れてこの手を伸ばしたんだ限界出してないって笑ってまた Hello and welcome to Weekly Suit Gundam, the special bonus podcast brought to you by the folks at the Weekly Stuff Podcast. I am Sean Chapman. And I'm Jonathan Lack. And we are here once again to set our GP bases to begin Plavsky Particle Dispersal and set our model damage levels to B, because this week on the show, we are going to continue our dive through the world of、uh, Gundam Build Fighters today with the sequel to the original Gundam Build Fighters, Gundam Build Fighters Try. Before we get into that, which is our main topic for today, Jonathan, we've got a little bit of news to talk about, a very rare news segment on this show, because Sunrise announced a couple of pretty big、uh, Gundam projects just the other day. They, they are aware that we are getting close to the finish line. We have, like this year, Sean, we're probably going to finish through Iron Blooded Orphans at least. And、uh-huh. Iron Blooded Orphans is the last non Build Fighters Gundam show, so. They needed to give us something so we can keep reviewing Gundam, and、uh, they're doing it. They, they want this show to continue. Exactly. They, they've seen that our train is heading to its last stop, and they're like, fuck it, we've got to lay some more track, guys. <laughs>、uh, you know, we can't let the Gundam train ever stop. So, yes, so they have announced a couple of projects, but the big one is that、um, the first、uh, full, like, proper Gundam show since、uh, Iron Blooded Orphans, which is now about five, six years old. Uh, has been announced. There's not a lot of details. The main thing we know、uh, is that the show is called Mobile Suit Gundam The Witch from Mercury, or, or in Japanese, it's called Suisei no Majo.、Uh, and it's got a sick fucking logo, and, and that's about it. Like, we don't even know anything about staff. We don't know if, like, how long it's going to be, whether it'll be like, a multiple season thing, like Iron Blood Orphans or Double O, or if it'll just be 26 episodes, like G,、uh, Reko and G. Um, but we do know it is a proper AU Gundam,、um, the next in the line, kind of as a successor、um, in a general sense to Iron Blooded Orphans. And this is very exciting because this is the first time since I have watched all of Gundam, because I finished watching Gundam around the time when Iron Blooded Orphans Season 2 was wrapping up. So this is the first time that they've announced a whole new show since I was like, fully caught up on this thing. It's pretty fucking cool.、Um... And it is such a good title The Witch from Mercury, Suisei no Majo.、Uh, the title treatment, like, no, we did not get a lot of info on it, but the title treatment itself, the logo, is so good. Like, the use, like, the typeface they picked for the kanji and everything, it is so cool. It is such a provocative, silly, wonderful title. I love it. It's like, how do we one up Iron Blooded Orphans, which is a pretty fucking good title. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, Witch from Mercury. I love how 2010s and now 2020s Gundam titles are just losing their shit. Rekengista in G, Iron Blooded Orphans, The Witch from Mercury. Sky's the fucking limit. It's great. Yes. And it immediately, it's a very evocative title because it immediately makes you start thinking of like new type shit. 
it, it's like is mercury the new jupiter is it just like you got a bunch <laughs> of weird motherfuckers hanging around mercury just like there always are is around jupiter in more normal gundam stuff but yeah i'm i'm super super excited to yes. have that announcement just is it has been such a long time like they've been doing lots of projects they've been doing movies they've been doing ovas but it's just been such a long time since they did a full tv show uh, but this is not the only announcement. There was also, I'll just like address it very quickly, there was an Iron-Blooded Orphans connected announcement. It was very confusing. I'm not entirely sure the full extent of what it is, but it doesn't seem to be anything substantial enough that I doubt it'll be something we cover on the podcast. But they're doing like a compilation type thing. I think it's more of like a series of very big episodes rather than movies. But they're doing a compilation project for Iron-Blooded Orphans, as well as there is a like mobile game that has been in development for a long time that I think is coming out sometime next year is what it seemed and there will be some kind of new animated content around that that will be set between the two seasons of Iron-Blooded Orphans but again the sense I got from that is I think it's going to be light in terms of new animation stuff and it's more about the compilation and about this game but I'll, I'll be curious to see some of that stuff and obviously we haven't yet covered Iron-Blooded Orphans on the podcast but um, I'll, we'll see if any of that stuff comes up. But the other really big announcement that is, uh, fucking crazy is that they have announced a movie. Like they, every time I've seen it referred to, it's just full up movie. It's not OVA. They just call it a film. Um, it is a movie version of the Cuckoo's Doan, uh, Island arc from the original Mobile Suit Gundam that also then has its, like the reason this is happening is because it has its own manga that is sort of a pseudo spinoff from the origin manga, but it is the, like what is in the West, a very infamous episode of Gundam because it is an episode of Gundam that has never gotten an official release in the West whatsoever. So if you buy a like Blu-ray of Mobile Suit Gundam over here from like a Western retailer, it will only have 42 episodes and not 40 three uh, because this is an episode of Gundam that Yoshiki Tomino very famously does not like um, but the fandom particularly the fandom in Japan does like Kukuru's Doan and Kukuru's Doan's Island like Doan is a character that features in a bunch of the games and stuff like that uh, so it's not a totally inexplicable announcement but it is I think an utterly hilarious announcement that they are giving our mobile suit martial artist uh, his own fucking movie in Kukuru's Doan's Island Yep. Uh, you know, if you want to hear us talk about that episode and the entire history behind it, you should listen to episode three of Weekly Suit Gundam, because that's when we would have covered episode 15, which is Kukuru's Doan's Island, um, which we both agree is, is it's the worst episode of OG Gundam because it's just yeah. it's it's got the roughest animation. It's tonally off from the rest of them. But it's interesting. We didn't hate it. We certainly don't agree with Mr. Tomino that it should be stricken from the record. Um, and yeah, it has had sort of a second life because the origin manga by Yoshikazu Yasuhiko, a couple years after that ended, um, it wasn't him, but someone else sort of in his style did a spin-off manga that wound up being collected in five Tonkoban volumes um, called Kukuru's Doan's Island, which does not appear in the origin manga. I've read the origin manga and, and Yoshikazu Yasuhiko skips the Kukuru's Doan stuff. So he gets his own manga, and now they are making a movie, presumably based on that, being directed by yep. Yoshikazu Yasuhiko, who has not done, like, a ton of direction lately, other than the origin, the OVA series that he directed, and now he's directing this movie. The dude just loves Kukuru's Doan. Yeah, no, it's, it's, that is the thing about the announcement that is really exciting, because... 
Um, because I saw all this stuff come up, um, like, on Twitter, right, when it was announcing. And so I was, like, trying to dig into the Japanese, like, press releases about this shit. And, you know, I was looking at it, it's like, oh, man, there's no info on directors or anything for Witch for Mercury. And then I scrolled down and was looking at the Kukuru's Doan Island one. And then I saw there is only one person in any of these announcements that is, like, credited specifically as working on these projects. And it was just for the director of that movie. Um, yes, and it is Yoshikazu Yasuhiko, um, who, as you say, he, he has done some direction projects. He's most well-known for being a mangaka um, with Gundam the Origin, and then he's done, like, a lot of really, yeah. really well-regarded manga. Um, but he has done some direction, most notably recently. He's, like, a co-director on um, the, the Origin OVAs, because I think they kind of split, because that's a lot to direct um, direction duties between two people. Um, but yes, that's super exciting. That, like, gives me a lot of, like, confidence that it will be like a good project and not just something that'll be like kind of a goofy funny thing that there's this Kikru's Doan's Island movie but it, I'm guessing and this is why I said to you on Twitter Jonathan I'm guessing that that announcement makes it feel like this project is probably happening because Yoshikazu Yasuhiko wants to do a movie and presumably just wants to do a Doan story um because I just don't I can't imagine Sunrise wanting to put the amount of like budget and time it would take behind a project like this if they didn't know that they would have someone like Yasuhiko who's really well regarded and beloved in the community because the other thing you know is that he is also the original character designer for original Gundam and a lot of the other Gundam projects like F91 and Unicorn Gundam and stuff like that um so he's he is a really beloved kind of OG member of the Gundam crew um yes. so if you get him on a project the Gundam people will show up uh and <laughs> and I'm I just love the fact that they're making a fucking so Dylan movie. It, it's so great. It's so great. I'm so excited. It, it also makes sense. The origin is super popular, the OVA yes. series. And this is, you know, like Unicorn Gundam got Narrative Gundam a couple years later, which is its movie sequel. This is effectively the movie sequel to the origin. Like, it will probably be in that style, right? Yes, I mean, I'm assuming it, so. Yeah. So that's awesome. It'll be good. I'm very excited for it. Um, what an unexpected announcement. I would not have guessed that in a million years. Um, I also, I just, I kind of love that Kukuru's Doan's Island is getting a movie before Crossbone Gundam gets any kind of anime. <laughs> yep. It's, it's like, it's, it's crazy. It's, they it's, are very stubborn on that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's just, this is, it's very exciting right now to be, you know, in the world of Gundam because we've got, because we've got a lot of good projects in the works because we've got those and all that stuff is set for next year also. Yes. Um, so, so it's not that far off. Um, but then also, obviously, we still have, like, Hathaway 2 is in development. There's still that Gundam Seed movie sequel thing, whatever form that takes, is still in development. So there's a lot of stuff in the pipe. I have um, a guess on exciting. this, by the way. I'm I'm guessing that this news means that Hathaway 2 is 2023. Yeah, Because I, well. I can't imagine them doing more than one movie in a year, just as a theatrical release. Uh, and a global release and all of that. So I think I think Kukuru's Doan is 2022 because they've said it is. Hathaway 2 is 2023. And I'm guessing that seed movie is like 2024 after the next Hathaway. Like I wonder if they're staggering it to like have one every year is maybe the long-term goal. I'm, all of that could change obviously depending on all sorts of things. But that seems like maybe the, the idea here. That would make sense because I think there was something about the announcement to the seed movie that sounded more like... We are, like, officially starting proper production on this thing that has been in some, like, weird, vague development hell for, I mean, at that point, it was, like, over 10 years. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, especially if they're, like, really putting their backs into the Seed movie and it's not 
a quick turnaround because I'll say like I'm not expecting the Doan's Island movie to be Hathaway esque in terms no. of its budget and scale. Like I think as you identified, I'm expecting something that's generally on the level of quality of the origin OVAs, which are like really, really good, but they're not quite proper like what you'd think of as like a movie movie anime. Well that's um, what Narrative that Gundam was. Narrative Gundam was like a slightly bigger budget episode yes. of Unicorn, which was fine. It's beautiful. But yeah, I, I would expect like another OVA episode with maybe a little more polish and longer obviously too yeah so that's what i expect from doan but yeah i think maybe that that seed movie might be more properly like we're going to do a big big movie for this thing it also like if that's three years off 2024 that will be 45th anniversary of gundam they're going to have something mm -hmm. big for that um a seed movie would be a good thing for the 45th so yeah Yep, exciting stuff in the pipeline. It's good to know that, that Gundam will never end, which means that we will always be able to do this podcast in some a form. Absolutely. And people have already been asking, oh, how are you going to cover all this stuff? Um, we're not sure. We will cover it, obviously. I don't think we're going to be doing, like, episode at a time on The Witch from Mercury every no. week. Because I, I don't think that's the way we enjoy watching it, or I think would be a good way to cover it. But, you know, if it's, like, a one season with 26 episodes, definitely at the end of the season maybe once per core i don't know we'll figure it out we will cover it in real time somehow like we have done with hathaway and other new stuff that has come out so it'll the show will live on yes yeah gundam, gundam will go on forever till the end of time which is very good yes but that's the future of Gundam, Jonathan. Let's talk about, well, I guess I was going to say the present of Gundam, but this is the present. It's like six, seven years ago in Gundam. Um, and let's get to the main topic of this show because we are in the midst of the the build the build revolution the 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 <laughs> beginning of like what I'm also guessing is going to be a very long running sort of sub franchise because uh, we will have still build divers and re rise and all that stuff in the future. But we talked about on the last episode of the show uh, Gundam Build Fighters, you know our like beloved sports anime, the the little the little sports anime that could uh, that is just like an utterly phenomenal show like way better than anyone could have imagined um and then they made about six months later they made a sequel to it gundam build fighters try and this i think is going to be based on twitter is going to be an interesting episode of the podcast because i think this might be jonathan i'm guessing the show so far that we will disagree about the most because i don't dislike this show particularly but i wasn't super enthralled by it uh watching it which it was also how i felt about it the first time Jonathan, what are your overall impressions on Gundam Build Fighters Try? I love it. I think it's great. I love it. I, I think it is clearly not as good as the original Build Fighters. I also think that's a stupidly high bar to clear that I would not expect a sequel made right after Gundam Build Fighters to clear. And one of the things I like about Try is that I don't think it really tries to like compete with it on that level. It is smaller scale. It is a little more insular and intimate. Um, I think it does a lot of good things to distinguish itself, but the basics of it, you know, I, I'm a sucker for this kind of show. I'm just mm. a sucker for it. And I think I could watch a show significantly worse than Gundam Build Fighters Try and still get some enjoyment out of it if it, like, crossed some of the boxes. But I don't think this is a significantly worse show than the original. I think it is different, and I think it is not up to that, you know, sheer par, but I like the main three characters a ton I like that this show goes in sort of a martial arts direction and just goes full DBZ by the end. Um, I think it's got really good action, especially in the second half. Kind of like the original Build Fighters, it gets better and better as it goes along. Um, 
you know, I love the music, which is the same composer, a lot of the same score. Um, I love the theme songs. I think the, and I think the home stretch. I watched the last eight episodes of this in one day, not because I was planning to watch the last eight episodes in one day, but just because I just kind of got hooked on it in those last eight. And I think the last eight in particular are really, really fantastic. It's got a great ending. Um, I just like this show. I like it a lot. I will fully uh, like recognize this as partially just a like it's a taste and it's a a kind of like genre thing, right? Like I just like mm-hmm. this kind of thing a whole awful lot. This kind of sports anime silliness, um, and so it does it for me. I will also just say on a personal note, um, uh, my family and me have been going through kind of a rough time, and I don't want to talk about all of that and why, but just there's been some. Hardship going on that has made the last couple of weeks very difficult for me personally. Um, I, I don't know. If you listen to the Weekly Stuff podcast, you might have heard me just being short about things. And it's just been a tough couple of weeks personally, very much so. And having Gundam Build Fighters try was kind of a beautiful just thing to engage with because it is so pure and like hopeful and funny and simple and just simple goodness and that meant an awful lot to me recently and I don't know if like if I were in a totally better mental headspace if the show would have done it for me but the second to last episode where you have the big final battle they do it the same way as the original build fighters where the final battle is the penultimate episode the last three or four minutes where you have the big final fight set to the original theme song from build fighters try um the new one cerulean by back on um, it's just one of my favorite Gundam scenes ever. I think it's a phenomenal, perfect ending, and it made me cry. And, you know, sports movies, sports anime are liable to do that, if, especially if you're in a certain headspace. And uh, I really like this show. That's all. In fact, I like this show so much, I do have a star-winning Gundam mm-hmm. gunplot that I made. My first SD Gundam. This thing's fucking sick. I like the star-winning Gundam a lot. So, yeah. there you go. I kind of rambled there, Sean, but... Yeah, cause, and, and I'm very glad that you liked the show because, I mean, this is something that I knew, like, you know, if people have listened to the Weekly Stuff podcast, people know that you're, like, you really love, like, the Yu-Gi-Oh! anime, you really love the Pokemon TV anime, which is stuff that I have fondness for, but I don't, like, I can't really go back and watch it. Like, whenever I go back to those shows, I just kind of get a bit bored by them. Um, Yu-Gi-Oh! I like a bit more than the old Pokemon anime stuff, which I kind of find hard to get through because I just find it very slow. Um, although I need, I should, I need to go back and watch some more Pokemon anime in Japanese because since yeah. we did that for the first movie, I'm like, but this voice, that voice cast was very good. But the point being that, like, I definitely don't take as immediately to the like sports anime, particularly the like very silly sports anime thing, is not always going to be like my absolute favorite genre. I do like lots of sports anime, but the main stuff I like is more like. March comes in like a lion, Chihayafaru, uh, Kuroko's basketball stuff. That's a little bit more like grounded in. I, I say grounded. I mean, Kuroko's basketball is basically <laughs> Dragon Ball Z, except for they play basketball. Um, uh, but it, it, wait, I need to look is, this up. That sounds fucking great. <laughs> it's just instead of going Super Saiyan, they go, they get in the zone, uh, and then their eyes get very like sharply animated and shit, and it's like fucking rad. But they basically treat it like it's going Trans Am or something in Double a Gundam, and it's fucking sick. Okay, um, I'm bookmarking this right now. Yeah. Kuroko's Basketball is an incredible show. Uh, but they are, but like compared to like something like a Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh, which is a little bit more, I think specifically, especially Try is what it's going for. Um, those shows have a, a much more like kind of dramatic storytelling spine to them that the original Build Fighters does have. 
And I think that's the thing that Try mostly kind of jettisons, um, is that, and that's the thing that I find sort of boring, I guess, about it overall, is I think Try is an extremely enthusiastic show. It's a super high energy show. And I appreciate those things about it. And occasionally I do think it's very well directed. And I often think its humor can be quite effective. Like there are quite a few gags in Try that I really enjoy a lot. But my main issue with it now, which is the same issue I had with it when I first watched it, is that I think it just doesn't have a lot going on with its sort of like fundamental storytelling. Um, and, and that's where like, I think probably the biggest disagreement I have is that I just don't particularly like the home stretch of the show much at all outside of the Try On 3 stuff, which I think is probably the best thing in Gundam Build Fires Try because it's fucking hilarious. Um, but m the show doesn't do much in order to sort of build up like interesting character motivations. Sekai as our protagonist is a very flat, very generic feeling protagonist character to me that I get kind of tired of. And the show just kind of, instead of having had like good narrative buildups and things like that, it and then have payoffs in the uh, last like national tournament, the show just sort of settles into this very kind of cliche feeling mode where every episode is fairly interchangeable. There's not a lot in terms of like specific storytelling going on designed around the fights and things like that. So the fights become a bit tedious to me because they're not like strongly rooted in plots and themes and character motivations, um, which is all stuff that I think is accentuated by the fact that Gundam Build Fighters does all of that so exceptionally well. And that I don't feel like Try gets as much away from it as you're implying, Jonathan, at least to me, because it is constantly reminding you of Build Fighters because you've got Say is always like skulking around the corners of the show because he built the build Burning Gundam. Right, you've got a bunch of characters like Ralsan and Majin Kawaguchi from the first show that show up, and Build Fighters Try is in a broad sense structured the exact same way the first show was, with a preliminary tournament, a training section in the middle, and then the bigger tournament at the end, which is not a thing that the show had to do. There are lots of sports anime that don't go for that structure at all. So it's like it it the fact that it like cues just close enough to Build Fighters stuff to constantly remind you of it but then also fails to, I think for me personally, ever really replicate any of like the things about that show in its fundamental storytelling chops that was so effective and special. At the end of the day, Build Fighters Try is a show to me that like ultimately just kind of runs out of steam after the first maybe five or six episodes where it's not really, it runs out of new ideas to play with. And then it just kind of goes on for a while and it's fine. It's like, it's, it's fundamentally like entertaining in a very basic way to me. But it, it fails to ever push past that. So I just got kind of bored of the show by the time I got to the end of it, which again is basically how I remember feeling about it the first time I watched the show. I mean, I don't disagree with all of that. I think, you know, the first thing I would say is like, obviously Gundam Build Fighters is a show that transcends its genre. It transcends its like its generic trappings. It transcends its like very obvious existence as a commercial. Like it just, it is better than what it needed to be like we you said that at the top of this show we both said that when we talked about Gundam Build Fighters like it is it is a show that I could recommend to someone who maybe doesn't even like sports anime kind of stuff and mm -hmm. I could expect that they would be into right um and I do not think Build Fighters Try is something that transcends that in those ways I agree that like it's central story like the central storytelling of Try is much simpler it is a group of friends who want to do well at the tournament that's the story right like there is not 
this sort of like broader thematic focus that I think Build Fighters has. It does not have the sheer like deluge of characters and world building that the original has that like really fleshes that all out. I agree that on an episodic level, like there are there are duds in Try where there are not in Build Fighters, um, and all of that is true. I still think, like, in terms of just the fundamentals of what I want out of this kind of show, it executes on that very well. I like the characters more than you, clearly, because I don't sort of share that. I 100% see what you're saying about, like, Kamiki Sekai, but I don't agree. I just, I like him more yeah. than you do. Um, I, I'll say, like, if there is one thing about the show that I think is, like, fundamentally the thing that hurts the show for me, it is that I think Sekai doesn't, for me personally, I don't think he functions effectively as a protagonist, and it, it kind of drags the show down a lot, but we can get okay. into the specifics. Well, yeah, we can get into that. that. I, I like him just fine. Um, but, yeah, I think I just demand a little bit less out of it, too. And, and I do disagree on the point that, like, the fights are not, like... Motivated, I, I think that's true for some of them, definitely. I think there are enough good ones that do feel like they have significant character buy-in for me that I like them. Um, but yeah, it to me, it, like, it scratches the itch I needed scratched, and I really like the characters, and I think that's the main thing. Like When I say it's not constantly making me think of build fighters, I guess I mean less in structure, because what you're saying is absolutely true, that it does hew close to that structure, and more just that the vast majority of characters on screen are new, and and I enjoy those dynamics, and that's fun. Um, you know, it, I think it probably overcorrects for the problem of Gundam Seed Destiny, where Seed Destiny just gets killed by bringing in the new old characters and having them just kick the old the new characters out of the show mm -hmm. this one kind of goes in the opposite direction where it's sometimes a little weird that say yori is only on the edges and not like coming in and saying hi at a certain point but i would rather overcorrect than undercorrect for that because seed destiny is a much like i will say this you know in terms of quick turnaround sequels to good gundam shows this is a right site better than seed destiny um this is a better show than gundam seed destiny yes yeah um, it, this is not a show that like it's mostly not a show that infuriates me in the way that Sea Destiny does. Like, the way that, there are some things about the show that annoy me, but it's at a much smaller scale. It's like at a normal level, like, ah, I wish they didn't do this level of annoyance. Mostly, I just kind of am a little bit bored by the show. And it um, does Sea nothing. Destiny to... is a show I'm like frothing at the mouth at about, like, frustrated, like, how are you doing this? What is the show doing by the time I get to the end of it? Yeah, and there's nothing this show does like Sea Destiny that, like, negates wide swaths of the legacy of the original show, you know? <laughs> yes, yeah. They don't bring in Yori and make you fucking hate him, which they do with Kira, you know, in Seed Destiny. So God, that would be tragic. That would be fucking tragic, right? I, it'd yeah. be tragic, and I also think physically impossible. Like I don't care who yeah. you are, I don't think you can make Yori say unlikable because he's he's, no. he's 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 everybody's son. Like he's our precious little boy. Yeah, you, you and, can, I love him unconditionally. And I just want to say, when when you say to the listeners that like I I like this kind of thing, and like you mentioned Pokemon. Um, just to stress for people who haven't heard me say this before, I watched every episode of Pokemon as a kid, like in English on the WB, like, and I say as a kid, I was watching it past the point where I could reasonably call myself a kid. I saw every single episode of Pokemon through the Kanto stuff, the Orange Island stuff, all three seasons of the Johto stuff, and most of the Ruby and Sapphire stuff, and it was somewhere in late Ruby and Sapphire when I gave up, so I have seen all of that shit, and the other day... I was uh, like cleaning up and I found an old Game Boy Advance video cartridge that I had. Do you remember these things, Sean? Yes. This was video you could watch on your GBA. And really, it should be video in air quotes because it's like at six frames a second because GBA doesn't have a lot of storage. Um, and it's a Pokemon cart that has the last two episodes of the Johto tournament in it. 
And I put this in just to like, oh my god, what did this look like to test it? And I wound up watching the whole fucking thing. <laughs> because it's a because it's a tournament. And I'm like, yeah, Ash, I wanna see I wanna see what happens in this tournament. And it's Pokemon, so Ash loses, obviously. But it's just I like tournament shit. I will go for it. I love the fucking Tenkaichi Budokai in Dragon Ball Z, where they don't even fucking fight because it gets abandoned like right away when Boo shows up and like all the Majin Boo stuff with uh Bobbity. Fuck it, I still love that part, because they're at least, like, they're making a bracket. I just like this kind of shit a whole lot. It works on me. I'm a sucker for it. There you go. Judge me as you will, or agree with me, because I'm sure there's people out there who are the same way. Yeah. I'll say, like, I love tournament arcs. I just want... I The thing that, like, kind of annoys me about this show is that, like, every great tournament arc is not just about... It's literally just a tournament. Like, it's usually... And then also, here's, you know... And then here's Tenshin Han in the crane school. And he breaks yeah. Yamcha's leg. And, you know, you have, like, more to the story. Or here's Piccolo. Here's, like... I mean, the Dark Tournament saga in Yu Yu Hakusho is a bunch of that kind of stuff. Bill Fighters Try is, like, literally... This is just a tournament. Like, we're just showing up for a tournament. And there's no... There's nothing else to it. There's no strong character motivations. There's no intrigue. There's nothing going on behind the scenes. It's just, like... And that's kind of, to me, I guess that's like kind of how it would sum up the show is like, it, it has very, very, very minimal narrative ambition. It is like, let's just show up and let's just do the tournament and then let's go home. And that's kind of what the show feels like to me. And that's where I get kind of disappointed by it. Well, and then it comes down to how much do you like the characters, right? Because at that point, uh -huh. it's about the characters bringing their own motivations into the tournament and those like conflicts and things that happen. And that's what this show is entirely about. Like this show does not have a villain or anything the way Gundam Build Fighters does and obviously Gundam Build Fighters villain is a bumbling idiot but like there is an antagonistic force who's like trying to kick Say out of the tournament and that is like a almost like in a Team Rocket sense of like it's Say's never gonna lose to this guy but he shows up and does something to like fuck up with Say and Reiji every episode yeah, they and don't it do adds that. a level of dynamism to what you can do with the fights so that way it's not every single fight is just like and now here's another fight um it's like, I think it's one of the reasons why tournament arcs almost always do that, is that it, it gives you this sort of like additional narrative level to play at that allows you to fill in the gaps between the fights and make them interesting and then set up unique dynamics for every single fight. Um, yeah, which is, it's, I, I don't feel like the show is super successful at it. But I think that's enough preamble. I guess let's, just to address like very quickly the history of the show, because there's not really a lot to talk about here. It's very simple. Gundam Build Fighters was massively successful. It, in particular, it sold an absurd amount of gunpla. And so Bandai went to Sunrise and was like, make another one of those. And then Sunrise was like, <laughs> okay. Uh, and then they turned around um, in what is like, basically, I think it's even a little bit shorter than the gap between seasons in like a Double O Gundam or Iron Blooded Orphans, both of which are about like six months. Um, and so they build the entirety of Try, right, is has that six month gap um, in order to sort of get all your pre-production and start animating the first episodes and all that kind of stuff to get it underway, which is a very short amount of time to start up in anime. Yeah, the original series ended on March 31st, 2014, and the sequel, Try, premieres on my birthday, October 8th, 2014. So very quick turnaround there. Yeah, so, and, you know, while that is, I think, a fine space if you're doing the sort of split season thing of Double O or Iron Blooded Orphans, where obviously a lot of, like, the pre-production work for season two has been going on during season one or even before season one as they're crafting the story and the characters and all that kind of stuff, 
Build Fighters Try, even though it has some elements for the original Build Fighters, is fundamentally its own show. It was not in any form of production while Gundam Build Fighters was in production. It was only announced, like, a, a couple of weeks after the end of Gundam Build Fighters as, like, hey, we're, we're doing it. We're making another one. Um, and, and it is, like, I mean, it, there are not a lot of interviews or, like, things on the record talking about, like, the production of this show. But, like, most of what I have seen is very much directly, like, yeah, no, the Gunpla sold super well, so we made another show. And specifically, it was stuff, like, they talked about um, that the more revamped, like, more original suits, so things like the Gundam Wing Fenice, um, and especially Bear Gaison, those were the mobile suits that overall sold the best compared to a lot of the ones that are, like, just kind of, like, small modifications of an existing uh, Gunpla. And that's one of the main reasons why Try has very few... Um, like here's an F91 with a slightly different color scheme kind of thing. Almost all the the major mobile suits in Try are completely original, right? Down to like the build Burning Gundam, um, which is not in any way based on the God Gundam, which is called Burning Gundam in the original dub of G Fighters. I see a lot of people think that the build Burning Gundam is that, but no, that's just a total coincidence that it happens. Both shows have a lot of G Gundam connections. They both have a thing that in English is called the Burning Gundam. Um, but the build burning is a totally original suit. The winning is SD Gundam is obviously a totally original suit. Most of the enemies have completely original suits that are modeled to evoke suits from the original. Like the uh, Gunpla Academy team has a bunch of like double O Gundam esque suits, but they're not. This is an Exia with X, Y, and Z put on. They are original Gunpla. And that strategy works very well for Try overall because. While Try is nowhere near as successful, and I'll say that like my general opinions on Try are pretty down the line of like what the majority of the fan base feels. I looked around both in English and Japanese just to see like where the opinions were on this show, and most people like I feel like have the kind of same general criticism that I have. So the show only sold about half as well in terms of like home video, DVD, and blue uh, Blu-ray discs, but it shows sold an equivalent or maybe even a little bit more in terms of its promoted gunpla. Uh, particularly the Super Fumina uh, sold ridiculously well for probably obvious reasons when we get to talk about the Super Fumina. Um, this is but, fucking great. <laughs> yeah, uh, but. So so that was kind of like the strategy around the show was very much like we are going to give a quick turnaround. We're going to try to maximize the profit on Gunpla in connection to the show. And in by those metrics, the show like is extraordinarily successful from like a business point of view. Because even if it doesn't sell as well in terms of home video, its main function is to promote and sell Gunpla. And in that function, it is very successful. Which I see why. I, I think there's a lot of very cool Gunpla in this one. I like seeing a lot of the original suits. Um, you know, they start doing a thing here that carries over into the OVAs also of like, you know, like, oh, I see this is like based on the Zeta Gundam, but it goes in a different direction. Like all of Yuma's suits are sort of like that sort of thing of like yeah. different inspirations, but then they do a totally new thing. And there's a lot of cool ones in here. So it's fun. Yeah. And in terms of the staff making the show, uh, it is like mostly like it's like 99% the same team. Um, with, like, the most notable change is that the director of the original show then went on to do, like, eventually, like, My Hero Academia and that kind of stuff. So he was not here to do Try. Uh, so they brought in a sort of guy who, Shinya Watada, who is a big Sunrise guy. Like, basically everything he's worked on, I think, in his, like, whole career is a Sunrise anime. 
Um, and he takes over the franchise for Try. He then also directs stuff like Try Island Wars um, and some of that stuff. And then he's kind of in charge of the Build sub-franchise from then on because he's also the director of Build Divers and Build Divers Rewrite. So they kind of mm -hmm. hand off the reins of the franchise overall to Shinya Watada. Um, but things like Yosuke Kudoda is still the writer, um, so he's the series composer. Uh, as you say, Yuki Hayashi is still the composer of the music. Um, and so a lot of that and like the individual animators and stuff like that, it is broadly the same team, just with that like main directorial vision has been swapped out. And, and like you can very much feel the change in the director, like it's, I think you can tell how much influence he had because of how much My Hero Academia feels like Gundam Build Fighters, um, and Build Fighters try the little bit I've watched of Build Divers, because I watched like four or five episodes of it forever ago, when the, and then I stopped because I couldn't watch two Gundam shows at the same time, one for the podcast and one to get ahead. And I was like, fuck it, I'll just watch Build Divers when it gets to it. Build Divers feels a lot like stylistically try in terms of how it handles his characters and stuff. So it feels like it's part of like his style as a director is this sort of much more kind of lighter touch, not a lot of drama, like sort of you leaning a little bit more on kind of cliche you know, the way that this has, like, the harem, like, protagonist setup and that kind of stuff. It, it, that seems to be a thing he's done in some of his other shows I've, he's worked on that I've watched. Hmm. Interesting. I I will say, I, I think visually and in terms of, like, that aesthetic aspect of the direction and certainly the fights and stuff that happen, I think the show gets better as it goes along. I think I can feel a little bit of a learning curve in the early episodes of, mm -hmm. like, how do we helm this thing, kind of readjusting to now we're doing this team-based thing. I found the all that stuff becomes quite confident by the end, and there's some really spectacular pieces of direction in the second half of the show. Um, so we'll we'll talk about that later. But I did not I did not feel like this was a giant fall off a cliff or something where they got like some hack in to do it. That's obviously not. Yeah, like because I would agree that I think like the the direction in a technical sense is very good. Um, and as you say, I agree that there's a bit of a learning curve. I do think in that last tournament, that's where the the action is the most well directed. Like my problem with it is I personally just didn't have narrative buy into it. So no matter how well directed it is, if it doesn't make me feel anything because I don't like right. I'm not invested in the story and characters. It, there's only so far that well-directed animation can go, but it is well-directed and like the team that's animating it is very good. And it's a rare show where I feel like overall, not just in terms of the style of direction, but the quality of the animation of itself gets better on average as the show goes on. Because I think some of the early stuff in Build Fires Try generally just doesn't even look that good. Um, no, it, it looks, I mean, it, it looks kind of like what it is, which is a, they had to turn yeah. it around really quick. And it wasn't something that was, like, planned the whole time, like Double Zeta or something. So, like, but it gets better. Like, I think it's totally yeah. on par as a production by the end with the original Build Fighters. I would agree. Um, even if you, like, because a lot of what you're talking about are more scripting issues than they are mm -hmm. direction issues. Obviously, the director has some, like, control over this, has some say in what the story is going to be. But um, a lot of that is stuff that would be in the writing. Yeah, well, I mean, but part of it is, like, the conception of the show. It's, like, the director is heavily involved in that. Right, side. of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, yeah. Anyway, so where do you want to take it with this show? I mean, um, do you want to just talk about sort of the basic setup of the story as we get in those first couple episodes? Yeah, so the the sort of the main distinguishing feature of Tri compared to the original Build Fighters is in the name, right? The Tri part. So it's the concept is it's set seven years after the original. Um, you know, Say and our friends from the original show have all gone on to be like professional gunpla people 
seemingly around the world, Gunpla has become a worldwide phenomenon um, and seems even bigger based on the fact that now we're talking about national tournaments instead of world tournaments and stuff like that. So it's like a very ingrained part of the world. Um, and now it has some different rules. One of the main rules being that now it is 3v3 fights. So you have a three-man squad, basically, a three-man cell, as they say in, in Naruto. Um, and you put that together and then you go to your tournaments and you fight in your tournaments. So the first thing the show sort of does is it spends a couple of episodes setting up its team of the team Tri-Fighters featuring our three main characters, Fumina, the sort of captain of the team, uh, then Sekai, the boy who calls the wind, as they say in the title of the first episode, who Kaze is really... Yes, and Sekai is like really the protagonist. Protagonist, he's the character the show is by far the most invested in. Um, and then you've got uh, Kosaka Yuma, who is sort of our third, who he gets introduced and sort of part of the team in the second episode of the show. Um, but that sort of 3v3 thing is the main thing I think the show kind of like leans on as its primary distinguishing feature from the original show. It is an interesting choice, especially with a show that was turned around so fast that they jump seven years in the future. I think that's mm -hmm. a very interesting, and I do think there's a lot of choices like that that feel like they're trying to, like, okay, let's not do the original show again. And then obviously in other ways, as you've noted, Sean, they do in that they kind of repeat the tournament structure and, and that kind of like broad level stuff. Um, but it's interesting, like they, especially based on the OVAs, they they could have done a second season, you know, pretty straight. I'm, I'm ultimately mm -hmm. glad they didn't because I think there's probably a point of diminishing returns with that. Um, and I'm happier to see something like this. But I do think the, the choice to like go way in the future is interesting. Uh, not way in the future, but you know what I mean. Seven years is a pretty big jump for yeah. something like this. It's long enough to, I guess, like my main theory on why you get this very odd element of Say sort of skulking around the edges of the show, but you never actually hear him, is it's just long enough that you probably can't really use the same actress to voice Say because now he would mm. be like 23 years old or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so you would presumably recast the character to be an adult male voice. Um, and I'm guessing they wouldn't want to do that. So, so it's like it is just long enough that you can't necessarily just redo that stuff again because they don't have any of the characters that were voiced by women in the original show none of them come back but most of the characters voiced by men like obviously Majin Kawaguchi but even like Niels Nielsen uh who was voiced by a, a guy in the first show even though he was in the same age range as uh like Mao and Sei and Reiji he gets to show up briefly and it's just played by the same actor just dropping his voice a little bit in his register yeah so it seems like maybe the the, the thought was uh, let's not think about that too hard. That's going to be a big job if we have to like recast parts and completely yes. redesign characters. Because like Meijin, you don't really have to redesign that much, especially because he's got a fucking visor and costume on. Um, Niels is like the only major character who has to get like a wholesale redesign, right? Like even even Sheena, when we meet her, who is um, you know Yu's older sister, um, is not that heavily redesigned. Um, yeah. So, which I understand if you're making a show in six months after the original show. Um, but yeah, I really like the first episode of this show. The first two, it's kind of an almost a two-parter. But I like the, I, I really like Fumina. I think she's a cool character. And, you know, the whole show kind of starts with her as she's alone in the Gunpla Club. Which is a plot point they kind of abandon after this. But, like, uh -huh. at the school, Gunpla fighting has become unpopular. And I was unclear in those first couple episodes whether that meant like 
is gunpla fighting unpopular nationwide? And I guess it's just at that school because otherwise gunpla fighting is as big as ever. Which um, is weird because it is. To be clear, it is also the school that say went to. So it's like yes. that room. It's like he's got the tur- the trophy from the tournament from the original show, which is an important plot point. So it, it is like it is like that school where I feel like if you were a school that produced the world champion in what was a very popular sport, there would be a lot of people going to that school specifically to like be a part of that program because it's like it's one thing to be a national champion to be the world champion or something like that is like that's a fucking feather in your cap. It is. So for whatever reason, gunpla fighting has kind of given way to gunpla building at the school because now there are just like gunpla building tournaments as well, which is what Yuma is doing at the start of the show. Yuma and Fumino had a promise when they were younger to fight gunpla together. Then Yuma had a traumatic event and is suffering from gunpla PTSD, you know, GTSD, um, gunpla traumatic stress disorder, and uh, he does not want to fight anymore. And so Fumino winds up meeting uh, Sekai, who is a member of the Jigen Hauryu which is uh, the Jigen Hao School of Martial Arts of Kenpo. And um, if you wanted to play a drinking game that would definitely kill you, uh-huh. take a shot every time Kamiki Sekai goes, Jigen Hao Ryu! And uh, if you binged, let's say, three episodes in a night, you would die. Um, he says it a lot because he's very yes. invested in it. He's kind of a country bumpkin who just has lived with his master studying martial arts for many years. And so he comes to the city and Fumina sees that he can fight and she puts him in a in, in the gunpla room and he realizes it's fun because he can make the gunpla move like it's doing the Jigen How Do You moves. And so there we go. Uh, and they fight together and then in the second episode they get Yuma on board. They they show him their feelings with their fist which is an idea from the Jigen How Do You and, and from anime and um, (laughs) and then uh and then they're a team and i like it i i think it's a fun start and i i like the basic composition of the team yeah i uh, so so for me i guess a couple of things that are frustrating about the show a little bit early on is that like the characters other than yuma who is the only character of the three that feels like he's got like a specific motivation um, like Fumina and Sekai in particular kind of don't have much of like a good narrative momentum, which is like is broadly fine in that like you don't need the character to have like this is my life's mission is to be the world's best gunpla fighter because another gunpla fighter murdered my father or whatever like ridiculous <laughs> thing you want to give right to give them like a super strong specific motivation. But it does make the show's narrative and, like, storytelling pretty aimless overall. Is that, like, Fumina's goal is just to go to the tournament and compete in the tournament. And that's, like, basically it. So her main, like, character motivation is resolved in, like, the first four or five episodes. And then Sekai is, like... So Sekai is obviously he's built in the model of a Goku-esque shonen protagonist that he's a martial arts boy who's kind of an idiot, but he's got that like, you know, country intuition where it's just like he's just got that passion and he's going to get through it no matter what. And through his passion and his dedication to the martial arts and all that, he he's, he's can understand why people are fighting through his fists and all that kind of stuff. Um, and his main motivation is to like get stronger is what he vocalizes multiple times. But he doesn't have anything on top of that. And I think that's part of the problem for me with the show is that protagonists that are built in that model, even the ones that are like very simple overall, still usually have like something, right? They have like like Goku in each individual story arc always has a clear motivation that is like a specific thing. Like Tenshin Han broke Yamcha's fucking leg, so I want to win this tournament. And you have the whole like yeah, school I- and all that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think Sekai is more like Dragon Ball Super Goku of like, mm-hmm. if you look at like original Dragon Ball and Z Goku, I think in the popular imagination, Goku has been flattened out a bit. He has yeah. lots of motivations around like his family and like the Dragon Balls and Bulma and like all sorts of things. And in Dragon Ball Super, it usually is like he just wants to, he is, he is very flattened as a character by the time of Super because... It kind of has to be. That's a whole series that takes place between arcs in Dragon Ball Z. Um, and he's sort of like on that level. But, you know, even in Super, you have stuff like, well, Goku also wants to win because the whole universe is going to get destroyed if he doesn't. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Sekai doesn't have that. So I see what you mean. It still works for me in the same way Goku still generally works for me in the in the lesser stuff. But yeah. Yeah. And th- this is where, like... Um... And I don't want to just do comparisons to the original all the time, but it is a thing where because they have very similar plot structures and the first one is so good, it's like hard not to just immediately reach to that as an example of like what the original show does is in the second episode, it does the Yuki Senpai fight where they lose to him. And that is like Reiji's goal is it starts not about him being into Gunpla, but it starts with him having his honor be like insulted because he lost in this fight and he wants to beat this guy not just be good at gunpla he wants to win against yuki for like a very specific reason and then over the course of the show that shifts more to it being his love for the game and the sport um and that that's what it's really about and something and and that's what i mean that like it can be something very small but i wish that there was something that sekai had um that they could introduce like around this point because it's just there's not much driving his character he just kind of joins the team on a whim because they don't have a martial arts club and he's like oh, this is the, i could do martial arts shit with this that's cool and then the kind of show just like never really gives him something more beyond that after that point yeah i mean i, I this is a case where like i'm not gonna disagree i just will say it doesn't bother me as much right um i find the character charming i find the vocal performance very charming and that's kind of enough for me in this because it is he is, I guess, the most central of the three. He's first among equals. But it's, like, the other two do matter a lot. And I think Yuma winds up being a very compelling character to me. I like him a lot. Um, and I think I think you're maybe selling Hoshino a little short. Not completely. I totally get what you mean. I think her motivation isn't, like, just to win. Obviously, it's also to, like, have friends and have a team. Like, that's a big idea of the show. And, yes, that is something that's roughly resolved a couple episodes in because no one after that is like threatening to abandon her or anything you do also have the little thing about her like being inspired by lady kawaguchi which i think they could have done a little more with because there's an interesting i think they do a nice thing of that it kind of starts and ends on that point but there's some other things in the middle you could do with that so yeah no the motivations are fairly flat they want to go to the tournament and win but i i want to see them go to the tournament and win so i'm good with that yeah this is also where you get um, like a running thing of you have a lot of specific G Gundam references uh, in the show, right? So it's like, because this is, you know, G Gundam had its references in Build Fighters, but they were mostly like uh, put to like in the original Build Fighters, whenever they had a random mobile suit that needed to just get blown up in like a sort of cutaway shot, they would just pick what is the most ridiculous bullshit mobile suit you can get from Gundam <laughs> Build Fighters? The snake one? Let's blow, blow it up. The fucking windmill one? Let's blow it up. Like the one, the Zeus one that's like a weird like centaur man? Let's blow it up. Um, and that's kind of what the like racist Mexican one? Let's blow it up. Like that's what the Build Fighters did. Build Fighters try is specifically calling to a lot of specific elements of uh, G Gundam. The most obvious one being that you know, this is Gundam Heaven, so Domen Kashu is there, and Domen Kashu is is Sekai's master. Like, he's unvoiced. Okay. Do you want to just talk about that right now? Yes. Yeah. 
Okay, because so, that's the last like shot of the show. But like, yeah. yeah but it's, it's um, also like one of the first shots of the opening animation for the first OP. So it's like you see a silhouette of Doman Kashu for at the yeah. beginning of like twelve episodes. Yeah, because they keep it like coy, like for a lot. Obviously, for most of the show, like he has a master and he's off screen and like it means a lot to Kamiki Sekai. And I was sort of wondering for a while. I mean, I guess you have that that silhouette in the opening, but you know, it's like, oh, which which character are they going to pull on? Is it an original character? Is it something else? And in the in the finale, they just revealed that it is Domon Kashu. And so, Sean, I think you're just right. This is Gundam Heaven. Your big elaborate fan theory from the previous episode, which if you haven't heard, you should go listen to. Uh, one of the craziest moments in Gundam Bill in G Weekly Suit Gundam history, except now I don't think it's crazy at all. I think you're just right. I think Domon Kashu died, and in Gundam Heaven he started the Jigen Haoryu, and he just teaches people how to do cool martial arts. Yes, he teaches people how to cool martial arts, and then he also teaches people to, if you have a member of your family that is missing and you need to find them, you got to beat somebody up and then take a picture of them and shove them in their face and say, have you ever seen this person before? Because that's how yes. Sekai is introduced. Um, I mean, he doesn't, like, just go and beat people up. He gets, like, sort of, like, no. accosted in an alleyway, and then he uses his Jigen Haoryu Kenpo, um, and he shouts, like, Jigen Haoryu Sekenzuki 500 times as he does in every fight. Um, and then he shows them a picture of his sister. And this is where there is something about this series that I... A weird, there's a weird part of the show, which is that the characters' ages and their character designs don't always line up in a way that feels really weird to me. And that Sekai looks like he's like maybe three or four years younger than like Fumina in Yuma to me. He's way shorter, he's way skinnier. Um, and it's also, it's because Yuma also is voiced by Uchida Yuma, who's just like a guy. He was like 25 years old or something when they did it. Um, and Sekai is voiced by a woman that like the character reads as being much younger in a way that is like a little bit weird because he's supposed to be Yuma's age. He's supposed to be a second year in, uh, basically an eighth grader, a second year in middle school in Japan. Fumina is a third year student, so more or less the equivalent of a freshman in high school. She should be about 14. And then you also now have Sekai's sister, Mirai, who is also supposed to be the same age as Fumina because she is also a third year middle school student at Seho Academy. But she looks like she's like 18 years old and she works as a professional model. And it's like... I, I didn't my, catch that she's at the school. I totally she's thought at the she... I thought she was like 20 or something because she nope. seemingly has custody of the kid. Like, I thought she was like a, being like a single mother, basically. Not... I know she's his sister, but I thought like their parents were dead and she was raising him. No, they're only two years apart in age. That makes no sense whatsoever. And I kind of love it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it's... It is really weird, and it's it's just that thing of where it like Yuma has a crush on Mirai, and and but she's only like like the way that she's only one years older than him, but she looks like she's like again she looks like she could be like a student teacher at the fucking school. Uh, it's it's very weird, um, but yes, he's going to go see his sister who is at the school because that's why the the bullies like. Like or the the cops like bring him back to the school and or, or no she comes to the to pick Sekai and then brings him with her to the school and then a later episode she is in a classroom as people go grab her to go get to Sekai so she is at that school a third year student um the same age as Fumina uh and and it's very weird I am on the Wikipedia page they call her his legal guardian so I, I'm confused. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know, maybe the rules of guardianship are different in the Gundam Build Fighters world. A lot of things are different, so yes. 
whatever. I, I, it does. This does not bother me, and I don't think you're saying it's like a huge problem or anything. No, the, 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 the Mirai sister thing is just like a goof. I do think that when they start to do the like romance thing between Fumina and Sekai, I think it does like hurt it a bit. That like they're like visually their ages read very different to me. So it's like I never really buy Fumina's like romantic infatuation with Sekai, which becomes a like thing that becomes a bigger thing they lean on as the show goes on for their like harem protagonist jokes that they do. Um, I guess I see what you mean there, but I did not. I did not feel comedy like Sekai read quite as young as you're saying. Like he, he reads youthful, but I didn't like the character design. Didn't look that diff, like younger than the other characters. It's sort of a Goku thing where there's just a youthfulness, but I didn't take it that uh, that same. I, way. I think it's just that like, you know. If, if if maybe you're telling me that like Sekai hasn't hit puberty yet, but Yuma has, I can kind of buy it. But Yuma's like a foot taller than him. Yeah, that's I don't know. It, Goku's like 14 when Dragon Ball starts. It's silly anime stuff. Whatever. I... <laughs> yeah, but like the other person that's around that's the same age as Goku is Krillin. Okay, that's a good also point. Also tiny. Yeah, that's a good point. I you, men in Dragon Ball just have very delayed puberty. <laughs> Yes. Well, they're they're either yes, they're either like a child, and then they're just a child forever, like Krillin, or they eventually just all of a sudden they're like an adult man, or they just start as an adult man like Yamcha, and they just stay that way. That's fine. Yeah. Anyway, um, we're getting off track here, but yes, the thing about this show, like one area where I do have like personal legitimate criticism is I do think the pacing in the first, I want to say like ten episodes or so, is a little rough. I think it's it's much less confident about exactly where it wants to start than I think Gundam Build Fighters is, which Gundam Build Fighters is, as we talked about last time, it's through the preliminary like round of the or the regionals in like what, six episodes? Yeah, like, it's, it's five or six episodes. Five or six episodes. Five or six episodes in this, you're sort of just starting the the like regional qualifiers, and I think there's a little more just like stop and start pacing and some of the episodes are a little weaker it's there's some good stuff in there like i obviously we'll talk about gyanko i love gyanko and i love that there's an entire family ongoing of these siblings who are all into the gyan obviously obviously those characters yes. were made for me um because if i were in this world i would be one of those family members so it makes sense um but i do think it's a it's a little stop start i think once you get where i really thought the show was a little more coming into its own for me is when you get to like the training arc in the middle and then the nationals i like all of that stuff um there's no point where i disliked it i just thought that the pacing is a little slack certainly in those first nine or ten yeah i would definitely agree that i i think like the pacing in the show and 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 i would for me it kind of extends through the whole show because it ends up having to compress the entire national tournament into a span of about eight episodes um that like it, it spends a lot of time here and then in the training segment both of which if you're comparing it to the original build fighters like the original the preliminary tournament section is longer than it was in the original build fighters and the training section is a longer number right. of episodes than the original build fighters so they're left with like a pretty small number of episodes less than one core of the show to do the entire national tournament that the series is like supposed to be building up to which is i think is part of the issue i have with the show that i think like build up and payoff is like very out of whack um in the way the show is kind of structured and built narratively that's um, fair and and it's the kind of one one mistake they make and i do think this is true and it's it's what you said earlier of like one thing build fighters does really well is episode one is saiyan reiji and episode two is meeting uh yuki who will become meiji and kawaguchi and having a fight and losing and not like hating that person being really like 
like they respect him so much that they really want to have this fight, right? And yeah. Reiji is fired up by that, and so that's our and so two episodes, boom. This show, like, because the main antagonist, not antagonist, because they're not evil, but like the rivals wind up being the Gunpla Academy, who don't really come into the focus until the training arc. That means that the regional qualifiers thing is sort of on an island, and it's more just establishing the tri fighters. And then after that point, um, one reason why the training arc has to be longer is it's where you're setting up all of the main figures that will be yeah. there for the national tournament. And Gundam Build Fighters is just... I mean, Gundam Build Fighters is like Tomino-esque in its narrative economy. And we talked about that. Like, it is uh, cut above most things in terms of that just sheer level of narrative economy. But obviously, it is it is much faster at establishing those elements. Yeah. Because just like as like a specific comparison point, in the original Build Fighters, the world tournament begins in the episode called The World Tournament Begins, which is episode 10. Um, and by that point, you have already done the preliminary tournament. You've obviously established your main two duo and the Yuki Senpai dynamic. You have also had an episode that has a lot of Niels Nielsen stuff in it. You've established Isla as a major character. You've already done a bunch of stuff with um, uh, Fellini, right? Because you've had his whole thing of training with uh, uh, Sekai. You have Mao is already well established and they've had a fight with Mao. So by episode 10, the world tournament is started and the show has already like introduced and given narrative like room to build and start developing every single major character that then features in the world tournament and um for begun to build fighters try the world tournament doesn't start until episode 15 and by that point you have only had about two episodes to even like introduce and play with at all any of the characters that show up in the world tournament arc because none of them feature in any episode prior to that other than like vaguely the the auto saga character in yuma's like sort of nightmare like flashback his his gundam uh this gunpla post-traumatic stress disorder as you say you also have the kansai character who is there from the beginning yes that's right yeah, yeah. so you have minato uh who he is like he's he's like minato is i think one of the few things that i have like no qualms about how the show handles I minato is like fucking great I think he's, like, in terms of, like, the story and the execution, he's, like, the best done part of the show overall. Um, but he's also not the, like, final opponent, right? He is your, like, he's the opponent in the semifinals. Yeah. Um, and so that structure is just sort of, I think that's where you get this sort of meandering quality to the first 10 to 12 episodes of Try, is that it's just, like, working towards some sort of, like, vague goal of winning this tournament that I guess gets you to the Nationals, and I guess these are your opponents, but you've never really seen them before, um, and there's not a lot of good, like, clear goals, clear motivations, clear narrative structure to be set, so that way you can play with the stuff within the individual episodes and have, like, that large, like, big-picture stuff be very clear. I think that's important for a show like this, and in Try, particularly in that first section, it's very mushy. It's definitely there's some slack there. I I think I think there's a limit to how much we should be making comparisons to the amazing narrative economy of the original show because that is it's just a stupidly high bar to clear. And I understand that it's the direct like predecessor to this. You know, th this show does have different goals in some places. Part of it is that this is a three-hander, not a two-hander. It's got a little bit more to do in terms of balancing that main cast. Um, the national tournament is also just simpler in this show than the world mm -hmm. tournament is in the original series. There are the world tournament is bigger. It is the world. It has this whole like preliminary round where they're doing all the different games and stuff that they don't bother with in this show. So you know, it's not a direct one to one. Is is the only note I would make there. Yeah, um, but like because 
but like I want to say that that that's stuff that's all. But like the way that Gundam Build Fighters does it, while it does it exceptionally well, the way it is doing it, broadly speaking, is fairly standard for the genre. I guess sure, like sure. like it's it's a thing that most of these kinds of series have early on a set up really clear goal that the characters are moving towards. That that goal is then also personalized through a handful of characters or a primary antagonist, however they choose to express it, and that that's like a pretty standard setup yeah. and, I, and it frustrates me that try just like sort of it because try ends up kind of doing it but it only does it at the midpoint of the show um which to me is like a bit too late because i've sort of lost a lot of my investment in the show by the time you get there this is much yeah because you're totally right i mean even even down to something like a pokemon he's fighting gary in like episode two right like yeah you're or or Yu-Gi-Oh is pegasus is like the for pegasus and kaiba are episodes one and two and then those are the main antagonists for that entire first like 60 episodes so yes um it's it's as you say it's very standard um even if build fighters maybe does it particularly sharply um it is a slack point in this this show is definitely more a like live in the moment show it's a it's a the characters like goals are much more Sekai's like I want to fight strong people this person's strong cool Hoshino senpai wants to you know have a team and have friends and Yuma has sort of the long-term goal of like he's the one with the sharpest goals obviously um and he has I think the best moments in the final episodes because of that like yeah several of my favorite moments in the show are Yuma stuff near the end because he is by far the most highly motivated in a concrete sense yeah. so and he's the one who has the like rival right so he's both yes. got his personal character motivation of overcoming his weakness and he's got the rival in Minato Sakai which is like are two things that neither of the other characters in their the Tri-Fighters team like has like they don't I guess yeah. like technically you've got like they introduced a rival-esque character for Sekai in Wilfred Kijima, but they don't really have, I think, much like chemistry together. You get a little bit more of Fumina and Shia because at least you have like the harem protagonist bullshit all around that that creates some sort of like automatic rivalry. But again, all that stuff is introduced about episode 12 or 13. So it's like right. Yuma's like the guy that kind of front load with a lot of narrative elements for him to be able to work with. I think if you could do a second draft of this story, all the pieces are there if you wanted to put them oh, yeah. in a better order. Like, I, here's a couple things I would do if I were doing my in-my-head fanfic rewrite of Gundam Build Fighters Try. So, one is, you have this character in the national tournament, and I forget his name, because he's really only in one episode majorly, but it's another um, fighter from the Jigen Hao school. Um, and, he and, uh, and he and Sekai were friends as kids, and then he left the Jigen Hao school, and now he's, like, learning all these other Kenpo techniques and stuff. That should be the head of the Gunpla uh -huh. Academy team. Like, yeah. very obviously, like, that is just... I, I Wilfried Kijima is fine. I have no problems with the character. But, like, just just on the simple fact that he's not a martial artist, there's a, like, limitation to what he and Sekai do in fights that you do not have with that other character. And I think the episode is really good. And it's one of the better Sekai episodes. It's where you get the big assimilation, like, going Super Saiyan moment. Like, obviously, like, it's more motivated than Sekai usually is in terms of just that concrete person you're looking at. Um... And then I think, I feel like the third, because then the, the, you have another character, you have Suga on that team who is Yuma's rival because he beat Yuma terribly once, right? Yeah. So, okay, those are two pieces. Then I feel like that third character who is like, is a character who's very all over the map in Try. It's this girl uh -huh. who sort of starts out in the model of, um, what's her name? Reiji's girlfriend from Isla. Build Fighters? From, uh, she, yeah, starts off in the model of Isla, 
really isn't. Like, she's much more just straight and down-to-earth and just likes building Gunpla. And she's a nice, pleasant character. I feel like that character should be someone who used to be at Seho Academy. Yeah. And was like, and like Hoshino knew. And then I think the story should be that Gunpla Academy started poaching people from Seho Academy. And that's why their Gundam team is like shit. And why Hoshino is really sad and she never wanted to leave. And then like it is, like, make the Gunpla Academy just a little more of assholes. Because this is kind of set up as an underdog sports story, a la the Karate Kid. But you don't have like... Like it, it kind of needs the uh, the Cobra Kai <laughs> element yeah. of like the assholes who are sort of like poaching people, and I feel like if you did that and just kept almost all the rest of the show the same, it's great um, because I think a lot of those like I don't think you I like Sekai and Hoshino as characters a lot, but I would agree with you one hundred percent. I don't think you need to change anything about them inherently, but giving them more motivation would just automatically make them more enjoyable. Yeah, no, absolutely, because you have that Junior character, which is the, like, other martial artist Junior, disciple. Right. Um, and, yeah, like, I think that story in and of itself works well, but this is, like, the problem with, like, not having good build-up and payoff is that that character is introduced effectively. Like, I guess he's in the background of a couple shots, but you have no idea what the fuck he is. It's just, like, here's a mysterious character that's hanging out with fake Slugger Law guy, who's very funny. Um, yes. and, and, but you don't know anything about him and it's not really in before, until the episode before they fight that he's actually introduced as a character that we should give a shit about because of his connection to Sekai. Um, and it's like, that's so late for me to start caring about this. Like you don't even set up Sekai has saying that's like, oh, the reason why I left my master is because I had this friend or whatever that like he left and I want to go find him. There's a, there's not even like a hint that that character exists in the history of the show. It feels like they had the idea for that character's backstory the moment they started making the episode that the character features in prominently. Um, and that's like an issue that 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 it when it happens that episode's enjoyable and the concept is good in and of itself, but it's like impact to me is like significantly lessened by the fact that it just kind of comes out of nowhere. And then as soon as it's over, it's done. And then you just move on to the next thing. And it doesn't feel like it's nestled properly in this bigger sort of like envisioned story that the whole season is telling. Yeah, no, I, I won't disagree with that. Yeah. It's, it's something that I think clearly like doesn't bother me as much, but it's definitely a problem. And it's something that I think you can kind of feel, and it especially makes, it makes sense, especially when you just look at the air dates of this versus the original show, and it's like, oh, they're laying the tracks as the train is coming. Like, yes. you, you can't write a show in six months. Like, the, and, and again, like, yes, the season splits for something like Double O are like that, but clearly before Double O animated a frame, they knew what the story broadly yes. was going to be for 50 episodes. So it's it's different here because they, you know, you wouldn't have ended Build Fighters the way it ended if you were going to immediately turn around and do a second season. I think the choice to do it not as a second season but as a separate show is is the right one broadly, but yes, if they'd had a year to plan this, I think a lot of what we're talking about would have just arranged itself better, you know? Mm -hmm. Because it does feel like, okay, the first couple episodes, they have the basic premise of the show, and that's good, and they execute well, and it has a strong start. And then it gets a little bit like, okay, well, do we jump right into regionals? Well, let's do this episode with Gyanko, and then let's do this episode at G-Muse. And those are both fine episodes on their own, but it's like, where are we going with this? And then, okay, let's do some regionals. 
oh shit, none of these characters in regionals can be at nationals because they beat them all. <laughs> Let's do a training arc and introduce who will be there in the second half. And then while we're doing the nationals, eh, we need to fill out the roster. What if we had someone else from the Jigen you? Oh man, we should have done that earlier. Well, let's do it now. Like, do you know what I mean? There is kind yes. of that feeling of like we're laying down the tracks as we go along. I think the show disguises it somewhat, like like it moves fine in the direction and all of that stuff. It's light on its feet in terms of humor and character writing, but there is that structural issue. And I guess that is like the the difference I would like draw here is I think um, Kuroda, the writer, is still clearly just a very talented anime writer. Like I think mm -hmm. on the moment to moment level of like character interplay humor, the pace of individual episodes, all of that stuff, I personally feel that stuff is still very good in Try. Probably not always as good as in Build Fighters, although sometimes I find the show even funnier. I think there's some very funny stuff in it. It is kind of that broader, you know, structural level stuff where, you know, the best writer in the world might struggle with that if you had to turn it around in this amount of time. And I can imagine this being you know, roughly as good as the original if they, you know, if it had been made two years later or something. Um... But, and I guess it's just for me, I respond plenty fine to the sort of moment-to-moment -moment stuff that Kuroda and everyone is doing here, and that works for me, that the structural stuff doesn't bother me as much, but I'm not saying those problems don't exist. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about something I think we can both agree is good, even though, like, if we're doing our fantasy thing, there's a way better way to deploy this character. But let's talk about Gyanko a little bit, because she is... Um, if, if the most successful character in the show in terms of, like, its narrative execution stuff, I think, is Minato Sakai, my favorite character is Gyanko. She is the, the Sei's mom of this show, right? She's the character that's, like, is the character, like, actually super important in, like, a major plot way? Not really. But is the character, like, do you just smile every time the character's on screen because you love her? Yes, because Gyanko is the best. Um, Gyanko is voiced by a voice actress I like a lot, a lot Adyo uh, Hirohashi, who she voices... Um, maybe the character I find is like the funniest character in an anime. So a character called Yamada from an anime called Working, which is kind of like a workplace comedy set in a family restaurant. And the Yamada character is a 14 year old girl who has like run away from home. And she's very, for like, for like very like petty trivial reasons. And she's just hiding out at this family restaurant and is using Yamada as an alias because she doesn't want to tell them her real name. And she's awful at everything. And they just like hire her out of pity. And she ruins everything every time she touches it. And it's a hilarious character that is just an incredible <laughs> performance. Um, it's a very different performance, I guess, than Gyanko, but the voice actress has, like, really strong comedy chops, um, and I feel like she brings that to Gyanko really well. Um, and just the whole idea of she's the little sister of that asshole kid from the first show that, like, tried to, like, force Say into <laughs> building a gunpla for him, um, and that kid was a piece of shit, but Gyanko is amazing, and she's got two Gyan shields as, like, berets or whatever for her twin tails, um, it's just, what a fucking great character. It's a phenomenal character design. The fucking, when I realized, I'm like, oh my god, those are Gyan shields as, as you say, like the hair clips or whatever you would call yeah. them. We're not women, I'm sorry. We don't, you and I have very short haircuts yes. and always have, and we're very boring on that level. You and I could not pull those off. Uh, Gyanko very much can. She's like even more all in on the Gyan stuff than her older brother was, and I love that. She's made it part of her fucking attire. She's got like, and her, the various Gyans she has in this show are just fucking great. In the Tri-Island Wars OVA, which we will talk about at length on the next episode, she has one called the Giancelot, yep. which is one of one of the best names for a Gundam ever, and also one that I am going to need to build. I think that's my favorite of all the various Gion variations yes. in these two shows. It's really good. But yeah, she's great. I 
I like she should be part of the national tournament. I think that's yeah. that's a shame, and it's. I mean, it is the reality of if you're doing a tournament arc, it's hard to have someone who's they beat in the regionals, and I don't know how they would do it exactly, but but they don't like that's why it's like crazy because they they do the like scrimmage fight or whatever in episode three, and they do that's win true. the scrimmage fight, which they shouldn't have won that fight. They should have lost that fight. That is, I think, is yes. also a really bad bit of plotting to have them win in that kind of fight so early on, which is the first time they fight as a team. They should have lost because their teamwork is shit, and their teamwork is shit for the rest of the show because the show doesn't really do a lot of actual team dynamics in its fight choreography. So it's like if it had you know, built in a plot device there to have them try to work on their actual teamwork and have them lose to Gianco there. But then also the way they use Gianco in the preliminary tournament is she just loses to the people who are like the the other the runners up, right? They're the people that they fight, that Sekai fights in the last match of that tournament. And so they kind of, you know, I guess it's not it's not actually fridging in that Gianco's not dead, but in a tournament anime sense, they kind of fridge the character or use her as a jobber to like sort of like make the opponents feel more threatening or powerful or whatever. And it's like what a waste of Gianco. You, yeah, you could is. have just said that she's part of another region. Her team won that whatever that region was, and then they meet in the national tournament instead of like the three kids that have like the fucking King Ghidorah. I mean, I like King Ghidorah, but it doesn't really fit in Gunpla, and those two episodes are pretty See, bad. See, I, I watched these episodes like a week ago, and in my memory, they did fight Gianco at the end of the regional tournament. Because that just makes more sense than what they did, and what you're suggesting makes even more sense than what they did. Like, yeah, she should yeah. obviously be in the national tournament. And yeah. yeah, they should have won, lost in episode three, and like, yeah, if Gianco was like out there as someone they had to face at the end, that also just gives more motivation. Every character you can kind of save up for the national tournament is another feather in your cap. Exactly. And that's like, that's one of those things that the original show did so well is it knew where to like, okay, let's use a bit of this character here. So that way we know them. So that way when they start coming up more prominently in the story, like Mao or Isla or Niels Nielsen, you know who this character is. So you start building a really strong attachment to them. And it's like they do that with Gianco. But then they don't have any of the payoff because she's not actually a major factor of the tournament. She's just there to hang out with Sekai and flirt with him. Um, and that's kind of it. And it's, it's, I mean, I'm happy to have Gianco whenever I can have her. Um, but the character deserved more than what the show could give her. They did. Although the other thing that I fucking love about Gianco is their team name is Team Song Dynasty Vase. Yes. Which is like, Try does many, many fewer like Gundam references than Build Fighters did. And I, I think probably correctly so because there's probably a law of diminishing returns on that. But mm. like Team Song Dynasty Vase is a mwah, perfect, like if you don't know, that's like his, one of his last lines is like, well, he he mentions it somewhere that there's a Song Dynasty vase. Makuve is all into that yeah. kind of stuff. Well, so. that's when he dies, he has that vision of that's the vase right. shattering. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yeah. yes. Right. He says, get this, get that vase to Kaecilia is like uh -huh. his last line. Uh, make sure Lady Kaecilia gets that. So it's just a terrific fucking joke. Um, it, there's a there's a reference to Makuve in the Battlelog that is one of the only things I liked in Battlelog. It's great. I, I, I love all the Gion stuff. And then the gag in the final episode that she she has a little brother who's also really into the Gion is just, I love that this family is just Gion's all the way down. It's great. Yes, and that the little brother is, like, they just basically shrink down the character from the original show and then have them voiced <laughs> by the same lady. Uh, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's a really good gag. Also, thinking of good gags, so, because as you say, the show does far fewer Gundam references, which I agree is, like, for the show's benefit, because, partially because the show doesn't have a character that's, like, say, who kind of would ground those references in, 
like, you know, because when Gun to Build Fighters does a reference, those jokes can be funny even if you don't get the reference because it's character humor based around Say because he's a gunpla fucking lunatic, right? Right. Um, and this show just doesn't really have something like that, which is fine. Um, but there are a couple of really good ones. Uh, and this is where you still have, we haven't really talked about with Ralson, they had to recast the character. But this is still in episode three, you have the original Ral and they, where he's characterized like he was in the original show. Um, and he, uh, uh, Gyanko's mobile suit is the R Jaja, but changed to the R Gyagya. And the joke is these like, oh, but in the original setting, the R Jaja was actually based on a modified version of the prototype of the Gyan. And it's like, like as this big long description about why <laughs> the R Jaja is actually like a super deep cut Gyan reference. And that is like probably my favorite, uh, Gundam reference in this whole like show is just like that whole bit. Uh, and 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 Ralson just like going ape on how fucking great the Argyaga was, which is also the Argyaga is a very good mobile suit. Yes. Show. Do you want to talk about Mr. Ral really quick? Because yeah. So Mr. Ral comes back. He is basically the coach of the team. I, I do love the idea that Ral San has not moved and he just hangs out with the kids who play Gunpla and lives vicariously through them. That feels like what he would be doing. Uh-huh. Um, and like, if you're going to bring a character back from the original show, why not bring back Mr. Ral? You, again, any sports anime like this needs the old character you cut away to to like explain things. Just let it be Mr. Ral. Don't, don't uh, fix it if it ain't broken. But... Uh, Masashi Hirose, who voiced Ramba Rao in the original show, longtime Gundam cast member, and Mr. Rao on Gundam Build Fighters, he does the first four episodes, and then for uh, still unexplained medical reasons, he is still alive, but he does not work anymore. Um, this was basically the last thing he did as a working voice actor. And then starting in episode five, he is recast with Katsuhisa Hoki, um, who I know as the voice of Jimbei on One Piece. He's in lots of different stuff, and I like that actor a lot, and I think. I think he does an admirable job. That is a big set of shoes to step into, and I think he does it. I think his version of Mr. Ral is one I very much like, um, but it is obviously sad when that switchover happens because you want, you know, obviously they wrote this show with the idea that Masashi Hirose would be around for it, um, so it's obviously a shame. Yeah, and it does feel like I mean I don't know for sure, but I pretty strongly res- expect that they suspect that they like pretty dramatically rewrite what they were going to use the character for when that switch yeah. happens because the first couple of episodes after the switch, um, like they have Hoki because he's a Hoki basically playing the character more or less the way that Masashi Hirose did, but and and Katsuhisa Hoki is a fucking great great voice actor there's nothing against him but he has a very different quality of his voice than than masashi hirose did and the character is just not as funny because the character is much more sort of like stern and serious like he sounds more like you would think the character would sound just by looking at him whereas like masashi hirose played him this version of rao as a little bit more kind of like deep down he's this kind of like you know nerdy young kid in an old man's body and so there's this very kind of silly aspect of the character that that's not really there so much in Katsuhisa Hoki's performance which again I don't think is like a problem because you can't really expect another actor to play the character the exact same way he needs to play it how he feels he should play it but the character past that point past like episode probably six seven or eight then is not in the show as much and when he shows up the like most of the jokes around the character kind of go away and he's more just sort of straight up this kind of like fatherly coach figure um and and it, it, it does feel like I feel like the show. Unfortunately, nothing 
you know, it's not the show's fault, but it does lose something by the fact that it loses that sort of like yeah. grounding in Gundam. Um, that I think is part of where you, some of like the later Gundam build fighters try stuff. I don't always feel the same like love and affection for Gundam and Gunpla and the hobby and all that stuff that you really get a lot in the first show. I think one of the big reasons is because you don't have Ralson there to sort of like found the show in like the roots and DNA of Gundam itself is one of the things the character did in the first show through Hirose's performance. Yeah, I think I agree with all of that. Katsuhisa, you know, Hoki, obviously phenomenal actor, and I like that he goes in a different direction with it a little bit. I think trying to imitate Hirose would have been the wrong move, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think what he does is he plays to his strengths, which is a sort of warmer version of the character that's a little more down-to-earth. And those first couple episodes, it is a little surreal because the scripts were clearly already written yeah. for Hirose. And then, as you say, they kind of start rewriting. And I think Raul San is perfectly effective in the mode they kind of rewrite him into because Katsuhisa Hoki can, can do that and he's good at it and he's still pleasant when he shows up on screen. But yeah, like Mr. Raul was clearly like in the planning of Gundam Build Fighters Tribe meant to be our connection to the Gundam stuff. Like overall, this show is going to do fewer of those references, but when they happen, we're probably going to push those through Mr. Ral. So it's like character-based, as you say. Um, and then once you lose Masashi Hirose, it's unfortunately not something you can really do. So I think yeah. I agree with your analysis here. Yeah, it, it's it's unfortunate, but we did at least we did you know when he showed up he did get that fucking incredible arc yeah, gag gag yes so like he he you know while he was working on the show he got some really good shit yeah and wherever you are uh, Hirose San I just I hope he's doing okay um, because he was a great actor and yeah. still and he's still alive we we don't don't know yes. you know he's a retired um, and I hope he's okay and enjoying his retirement. You know, actors should be allowed to retire. It's like yes. it's one of those professions that it feels like you very rarely get it. Where like you just, especially if they're successful, it's like they act forever until unfortunately they physically can't anymore. It's like eh, just enjoy your retirement, man. Like you did like multiple like legendary all time great characters in the history of anime. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm I I screened the Gundam trilogy for my students here at Iowa. And they fucking loved Rambaral. It it is something that endures over decades, right? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, all right. Um, where else do you want to go with this discussion? Do you, are there any other? Let's let's break down some other characters here. Because um, you mentioned Ganko as like the character that that one character that works really well for you. But then there is um, our Kansai boy in this show, whose name is escaping me at the moment. Minato Sakai. Minato Sakai. Okay. Right, because it's Sakai, not Sekai, and sometimes that yes. confused me. Okay. Um, yeah, Minato, who is our like. I think it's an interesting choice they make. They have another, like, Kansai character who is sort of our comedic character, but he's nothing like Mao from Build Fighters. I think that's a fun choice they make. Like, Mao is, like, one, like, voiced by a girl and, like, is younger and is just over-the-top, like, sort of silly in that sense. Also has, like, the most over-the-top Kansai accent you'll ever hear in an anime. For mm -hmm. Minato, it's a little more pared down, and he is... Um, this like kind of egomaniacal kid who also I think goes on the best character arc over the course of the show because the whole idea is that he just wants to prove he's the best builder and he is mad that Yuma is now entering the fighting tournament because Minato wasn't interested in that he just wanted to build a better Gundam than Yuma did so he winds up begging this other school to let him in. Um, what's the school he goes with? It's the Build Busters. It's Team Build Busters, and that is mm -hmm. in the Osaka Tendaji Academy. Tendaji Academy. And he like begs these, these kids at his school to like, please let me into the club so I can fight at nationals. 
Um, and they wind up letting him in, and over the course of his arc, he is still arrogant, and he's an idiot, and he has a lot of funny comic material, but he also genuinely gets invested in being on the team, and I think the best episode of the show, pretty easily, is the one where they fight him at Nationals, and you have the Tryon 3 in its full glory, and also Minato having, I think, a pretty darn good character arc there. Yeah, yeah. I think generally he's the funniest character that they give him the best gags. The the performance, which I feel like I haven't seen this actor. Um, Kazuyuki Okitsu? Yeah, I've, like, I've seen him in some stuff. I, like, I feel like some of his biggest stuff I haven't seen. I think he plays like a younger Jonathan Joestar in the original JoJo's. Um, but he, yeah, he gives a really strong performance here. Um, and it is, this is the character that to me is like the most successful part of Try, partially because I think he a lot of his stuff is the most distinguished and feels the most different from the original build fighters, um, down to what I think is like the best thing in this whole show, which is the cold open to, I think it's episode 21, is the one where you get introduced to the Tryon 3 at the beginning of that episode, and you see his mobile suit for the first time, and it's a, a basically it's like a Voltron uh, sort of super robot gag uh, that he's made three different uh, mobile suits. One's like a lion that's like the Tryon Earth, basically. The Tryon Air, which is a bird. And then the Tryon Water or Sea, which is like a big like fish-looking one. Um, and then they all combine together to make a big, again, Voltron-esque um, uh, super robot type mobile suit. And when they do that, every single person, it's like, it's super over the top. You have like the logo flashing on screen. It's animated basically in a different style from the rest of the show, which they then bring back for when they do the fight. Um, which is fantastic, and but then the best payoff is that like every single person in the audience is just like dumbstruck and dumbfounded by it, and and then it cuts to Majin Kawaguchi, and he's like, uh, well, you know, gunpla is for their no limits to gunpla, I guess. It's just like yep. everyone just shook because because it's a super robot, right? And it's like it has abandoned everything you think of from the Gundam franchise, which is where the real robot subgenre comes from in the first place. And so the whole gag of him making a super robot, I find tremendously fucking hilarious. Um, it's it's, it's just, fucking yeah, hilarious. It's so and then it also makes for episode 22, Follow Your Heart, is where Tri-Fighters face the Build Busters. And it's where you get the Tryon 3 in its full glory. And it is the best fight in the show. Like, it is such a creative yeah. piece of choreography because it is so different. It's utterly different than anything else in this or Build Fighters or Gundam in general because they're fighting a big fucking Voltron-esque super robot with a big fucking lion face. It's great. And then I think also it narrows down to the Yuma-Minato dynamic which is a really good one because Yuma doesn't like actively think of Minato as a rival, which is mm -hmm. funny. But I think over the course of that fight comes to like respect him and Yuma realizes like how much he really cares about not giving up. And I think I, I this is one of several scenes from this show I posted on Twitter that I really liked. And that ending sequence to Follow Your Heart where they have their final battle is just a spectacular piece of direction. It's like the shot choices... They do these like really cool like eye level like things where they like do the colors differently. Um, I think Yuma's vocal performance is really fucking great there. Um, it's just a really really good ending to that episode, and I think the payoff there for Minato as a character, and he has a little bit more. His stuff in the finale is legendarily hilarious, but um, it's it's a it's a really solid episode. Like I feel like. Even if you're someone who does not like Build Fighters Try the way I do on the whole, you would have to admit that's a pretty good episode of Gundam Build Fighters. Yeah, I mean, it's the best episode of the show, like, easily. Um, yeah. You know, it, it also, it, it luckily you get a big fight scene that it also gives you a rest from having to hear Jigen Haoryu 500 times because it's like, they're like, Sekai, just like, 
off to the corner, please just let someone else have their fight scene. It's like, thank you. Okay, let's go. Um, yeah. Yes. No, I agree with that. And uh, yeah, overall, like, yeah. Anyway, it's really good. I love Minato. There is an episode earlier when like the national tournament is starting where they're all like listening to like the announcements and Yuma sees Minato sneaking over by yes. an elevator. Mm-hmm. And I posted that scene on Twitter too because it's basically the whole gag is that Minato was about to see Yuma and realized this isn't dramatic enough an entrance for my rival. And so he tries to go hide in the elevator and Yuma catches him and Minato like just goes on this whole fucking like monologue. First he thinks he's talking to himself, then Yuma is there. Yuma is just the perfect comic foil there. It is, again, that's what I mean when I say like Yosuke Kuroda has not like lost it between series at writing really good character-based humor. He can throw that off I feel like very easily. That's just something that clearly like comes naturally to that writer, um, and it's very fucking good stuff. Yes, no, yeah, that that gag in the elevator and all that is that's one of the better jokes in the show as well. Um, yeah, like I, I think just in general, I think like Minato Sakai is the character that the show just like one hundred percent nails for me without like really any qualms. Because um, his place up, is perfect. Like you better. wouldn't. Yeah, exactly. Like, he wouldn't work, I don't think, as the final antagonist of the show. He's exactly where he should be, mm-hmm. which is, like, in the semifinals. It's Yuma's big kind of character wrap-up so that the finale can be a little bit more about Sekai, which is kind of where the show's heart lies. Um, you know, I wish there was also a fight that more clearly did that for Hoshino, um, because you, you want that. And anyway, yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. I like that side. All right. Where else do you want to go with this? I mean, is there anything else we should break down about sort of our main central trio? Um, we've talked about them all in the abstract, and I've said I like them, but and we've obviously talked about Sekai and some of the limitations of that character, but is there anything else to say there? Yeah, I guess, like, for me, one of my big frustrations of the show is that... So it has the premise of it's about 3v3 fights, um, which I think is, like, a good, you know, idea of, like, trying to differentiate yourself from your predecessor which you know had you had a couple of team-ish fights because you do have that duo of say and reiji but generally they're the actual fights themselves are all one-on-ones um so it's like i like the idea but i do feel like they ended up biting off way more than they could chew with it because the show runs into a couple of problems of how you choreograph and design and build action scenes and then also how you design like antagonists because if now you have to have 3v3s that means you have your three protagonists but now every team you fight also then must be composed of three people and other than i guess maybe kind of the the team they fight at the end of the preliminary tournament sort of and then the gunpla academy there are no other teams that have three members on them that are all three of the members are like actual character characters it's always here's the character like minata sakai and then here's two background characters that have like a couple of lines of dialogue. There's like a vague narrative for some of them. Like like the Minato Sakai's team is probably the one that gets the most of there is like a dynamic there um, of him having sort of like shoved his way onto the team or whatever. Uh, but generally speaking, they kind of don't ever have much in the way of here is an interesting opponent for like each of our characters to fight. That basically never really happens where you actually have a good 1v1 lineup for each character which would be one approach for a 3v3 is to design most fights around Fumina has a character that's her main character to fight on this team, Yuma has a character that's one of his main characters to fight on this team, and then Sekai has his character, and you can build action scenes around that dynamic, or you can try to do more team-based fight sequences um, where it's really about like tactics between the team members and being a squad um, 
and they don't really do either. Really, almost all the fights in Try are about trying to get rid of two-thirds of the characters in mobile suits as quickly as possible, either by having the enemy mobile suits transform into one, which they do at least twice, if not three times over the course of the whole show, or you just have like a bunch of them get knocked out as quickly as possible and pare it down usually to Sekai being the one left, or like you have Yuma... Um, I don't think Fumina ever is the only one left standing, but she does win like one or two of the fights because she definitely wins the fight with the King Ghidorah-esque mobile suit. But generally speaking, they, they don't ever, for me, find a way to express a sense of like teamwork and cooperation and friendship between the three team members in action scenes. And that's something I find very lacking in the show um, is that like it feels like whenever it comes to the action, nine times out of ten, it just is about, like, they just put the ball in Sekai's court, and he just kind of takes over those scenes, and it's all about the other team members trying to support him as much as possible, or get out of his way while he has his dramatic, like, Jigen Hallryu shit that he does to end the fight. Um, and that dynamic is one of the things I think I find personally most disappointing about the show. And it hurts my investment in the team as a whole, that, like, their team dynamic breaks down a lot when you get to the actual fight scenes. And it also makes me a little bit annoyed at Sekai as a character, because the way they use him sucks so much of the oxygen of those fight scenes with his big martial arts stuff and his like martyr-esque trait of him getting hurt physically when he's doing his moves and stuff like that. That 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 is one of the things that like about the team dynamic in the show that for me doesn't work particularly well. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. And and I do think the show generally tries to create one-on-one -on -one matchups yeah. in various ways. Like it very rarely is actually three people coordinated fighting three other coordinated people they almost never do that they will fairly frequently do matchups where it's three one-on-ones going on simultaneously that is what the final fight is um mm -hmm. well it, it, it ends with sekai but you do have two other distinct fights and i think that one's pretty good the the one with the try on three i think works very well because while the other two characters are not as important as Minato, they are very important to Minato. And so in that episode, like Minato is has almost won and tries to leave and, the, and because he knows he can win if he just plays out the clock and he wants to like live up to his teammates and they're like, no, we've been on this journey together. We want to keep doing the fight. And like, so there's a very like real character dynamic going on there that is not three dynamic characters, but those other two being there make Minato more interesting. So that works in that incident. And then as you say, there's a lot of other ones where maybe we know one of them, and then there's two others. Usually in those cases, it's another, let's transform into one. You have the three brothers with the green SD Gundams who create the big dragon monster that is a pretty cool fight. I like that one a lot, but it is, it's another, like, we're going to fight a giant mobile armor thing. Um, and yeah, so it is something that I think it is too bad. I wish there were a couple more fights where, and I just, I don't know if you can do in 25 episodes... A tournament where you have enough characters that this is possible. Do you know what I mean? Like, you certainly can't do it in a show that is structured the same way that Gundam Build Fighters is, right? Like no. you can't you can't have two tournaments in a twenty five episode season that does that. You could have maybe done a one tournament, right? Um, yeah. And if you had pulled it off that way and set it up and built it out properly, um, and you would have to have most fights would be like probably like full two parters. Like there are a lot of fights in this show, and I think I do have a problem with this where they tend they have a habit of splitting fights in the middle um, and having fights take place over the course of two episodes, but it's not like, but it's one episode's worth of a fight. They just 
fucked around a lot for the first half of an episode, and then they have a fight in the second half that then just ends on a cliffhanger, and then they resolve that cliffhanger at the first half of the next episode, and then do a little bit of setup, and, like, the episodes feel like they're almost out of sync a little bit. That happens for, like, most of the uh, world tournament until they get to the Sakai fight. Um, it's it's not all of them. It's it's So you have a, the first two-parter in the show is the one that is against the... Uh, Snibal Drago Gira, the um, the the big the the three the King boys, yeah, the King Ghidora. Um, the then you have the Sekai Junior one right after that, which is a two parter. Um, and then I don't think there are any more two parters, like because because then you have the one where where the Gunpla Academy fights the Lucas Nemesis. Um, you have the Follow Your Heart episode, which is one part. And then for the final fight, episode 23, Build Fighter, ends with the fight about to start, and then the fight is all of 24. So, little different. There's there's only two where they split the fight in the middle, and I agree in both of those cases, it is bad pacing. Yeah, um, so, it's, so it's something where if they had, I think, thought more strongly about what this sort of, like, three-man cell thing of, like, the three-person team dynamic would entail i think it would have gone a long way to making the show for me significantly better because that's i think maybe my biggest hang up with the show is that it ends up not to me like feeling like it has anything meaningful to say or convey about like friendship or teamwork because most of the stories don't really have anything to do with that most of the stories boil down to and then sekai wins the day um and it's a it's like while you're telling me that teams are important what you're showing me is that this guy is important because he's very strong and did he build his own gun plot no but that's not important because he's very good at martial arts and the other people will fix it up afterwards like i think it's not something that the show is like trying to give that impression but to me it ends up giving that impression because of how much they centralize sekai in the action um and it's very frustrating because i like the characters like i love fumina i think that fumina is a really cool character she pops really well but she ends up being in the tournament like very unremarkable overall because she doesn't have there's not enough oxygen in the show to give to that character for her to like breathe and like be something interesting on her own and have her own ideas that she's expressing it ends up most things in the show revolving around how does this connect to sekai in some way and that frustrates me a lot for a show that's supposed to be about a three-person team dynamic. You know, I mostly agree with what you're saying. I, I, I think I would I would argue that Fumina and Yuma get more to do than you're saying. There's a reason why I bought my star-winning Gundam, and I love it so much, because I think there's a lot of cool stuff with that. But I think largely I, I agree with the main critique, and I think it's a problem of, of conception, because if you're going to do, like, Kamiki Sekai, on his own, I don't think there's anything wrong with the character, but the character is very clearly modeled from the Doman Cashew like side of things, right? I mean, clearly that's his like master yes. and all of that. He does not have the brooding aspect of Doman Kashu, like personality-wise, he is Goku. But the thing is, Doman Kashu and Goku never fight on a team. And they uh -huh. never could. Like, you would not, you know, it's the same thing, like you wouldn't do a One Piece arc where Luffy had to fight with two other people and do a team fight. Like, because they make jokes all the time, Luffy just runs off and goes off half-caught. Like, right? Like, he just goes off and goes crazy because he just wants to fight. Uh, Sekai is the same way. That kind of character is just fundamentally incompatible with a team-based story. So, and Hoshina and Yuma are not. Those are characters who are really good for a team-based story because they're very invested in it. Um, and so I like Kamiki Sekai, but is there like very obviously a disconnect in doing a story where 
you want to do a team-based thing, but also you're going to have the boy who has the magic fist who can end every episode that way. Because one of the biggest things this show takes from G Gundam, and I think it does it with more variety than G Gundam, over fewer episodes, which helps, but it basically does the, like, yes. shining finger thing, which is mm -hmm. that Sekai can end a fight the way Domon could with, like, he has a new shining finger thing. Like, G Gundam is a little more repetitive because it's usually just the same shining finger a lot, and the fights are worse. And in this show, at least, like, there's a little more strategy. The It's not literally him doing the exact same move to end every fight, and it evolves over time, but it is a similar problem of that usually he has some big, flashy martial arts move that can end it, and if you're relying on a single character who can do something like that in a team-based scenario, that would be weird. You know, if 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 Dragon Ball were Goku had two other people who he was fighting seemingly equal with, but then also every one was going to end with him doing the Kamehameha, you wouldn't really think those other two team members had anything to do because they wouldn't, right? Yeah, and, and it ends up then when the show uses a lot of its, like, dialogue time to sort of try to reinforce the idea that the show is expressing a team dynamic, it creates, for me, a very strong dissonance where it never, you know, they never have an episode that is about them becoming a team. They never have an episode where it's like they lose the fight because their teamwork isn't there, right? That's, like, the thing I was saying that, like, it feels like the Gyanko episode should be that. Because they do end up getting each other's way early on in the episode, but then by the end of the fight, Sekai comes out of nowhere and he does say Kenzuki, blah blah blah, Gigi can hold you, and he punches a hole in the side of the colony, and then Gyanko falls in love with him because they're doing their harem protagonist shit, and and it's like, well, who cares about that? Our teamwork was messy as shit because I've got cool martial arts is the lesson of like maybe two thirds of the episodes of Build Fighters Try, and it that's is, yeah, very very frustrating to me, especially as someone who like. I really like sports anime and I particularly like stuff that like a Kurtikos basketball that is playing specifically with teams and like teamwork and that whole show is about like what the main character Kuroko the thing he's good at in basketball is passing and he's shit at everything else but because he's good at passing he brings the team together and it's like you know it's a very simple lesson about teamwork and togetherness and cooperation and, and sportsmanship but that's the kind of shit as someone who I did play basketball for a long time as a kid and that's like the sport I liked a lot it hit for me really well because that it spoke to lessons about teamwork that you do have to go through when you're working on a team on something. And then it, 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 I think it gets under my skin a bit when Tri gestures towards that stuff, and then it really undercuts it repeatedly throughout the entire show. No, I totally understand what you're saying. And I think there's it's another thing where they actually set up, I think, a really interesting idea here, where in that first half, like through the regional qualifiers, Yuma and Sekai are both kind of refusing to be team players. And Hoshino, who is like very invested in the idea of having a team, that's one of her core character dynamics. It's the show opens with her yeah. saying, I wish I had a team, right? And so she builds, and it's the thing I love. I really do love the winning Gundam. It's one of my favorite things in, in either of these shows. It's just an idea. I think it's really cool. And the thing is that comes out of her thinking like, how do I make us a team? What do I need to do to be like build a gun? Like, what kind of gunpla would do this? And she comes up with this highly transformable SD Gundam that can do all of these different support things, and it can kind of take the strengths of Yuma and Sekai and bring them together. That is such a cool fucking idea, and I love how the S like the winning Gundam like conveys that idea. But I and feel then like they, then they kind of abandon it. And what should happen is what happens is in the second half. 
Hoshino decides, eh, I need to make the S the winning Gundam do more stuff for me. <laughs> and yes. so I can be stronger. And I do like what she builds as the star winning Gundam, which is the version I have, and it's also very cool. What should happen there in the second half is that that stops being enough, and she should have, like, sit the boys down and be like, I've been sacrificing for this team and you haven't, and them all having a come to Jesus moment. And I think that would be that would have been a fucking great story to tell, you know? Yeah, but that's not the, like because that's not the story the show tells. The story right. the show tells is about like individual excellence being the thing that's important about a team and not teamwork. Because the yeah. you know in that training arc, the lesson she learns is. You know, Lady Kawaguchi says it's like you're focused too much on trying to like put the team together, not enough on yourself, which sounds good. And if the show did more with that dynamic, as you're saying, if it then led to them training and being like during their training arc, what if they actually trained and learned how to be a team and come up with team maneuvers and tactics and all that kind of stuff and then like kind of changed up the style of how they fight, that would be great. But since they don't do that, the lesson that comes across is. You just need to be strong enough that you can fight on your own. And it doesn't matter what the other team members are doing because they also are just strong enough to fight on their own. And that's reflected in how they design their fights, which is about getting down to those one-on-ones, right? So you have a sequence in the Junya episode where um, you have uh, Fumina and Yuma like defeat the other two mobile suits. And then they just stand there and watch while Sekai fights Junya, which is like, you know, it's a big cliche thing. Uh, it's their whole martial arts one-on-one showdown. But at the same time, it kind of annoys me because it's like, well, it's not like it's unfair for you guys to participate in this fight. <laughs> like, it's a three-on-three match. It's a te- yeah. It's like a team fucking sport. It's ridiculous. Like, I get it. You're doing your martial arts cliche. But it's also like, but that, even though in that episode, with the logic of that episode and the, like, emotional thing that the show's trying to go through with its martial arts stuff... Like, it feels fine for that story, but I think that overall approach has a cumulative effect on the show where it, like, just, like, degrades the idea of teamwork being something that's valuable when in that kind of scenario, it's like, no, it wouldn't be fair because it would be a three-on-one match. It's like, but it was a three-on-three. Like, it's they would lose because all they relied on was the strength of one member, and because they relied on that and that... That's why they lost is because it's one strong guy with two weak dudes versus three people who maybe none of them individually, including Sekai, are as strong as Junya, but together they win. Like, that feels like the kind of story the show should be telling, and it never tells that story, even though it has lots of opportunities to do it. No, I totally understand what you're saying. And, you know, for that episode with Junya, it's all... It all makes perfect sense for that episode because it's they, they it's the martial arts thing they want to have Sekai have the chance to confront this guy whose feelings he doesn't understand. It would as I and I think what you're saying here, Sean, is that like it's not necessarily a problem in that episode, but if it's a problem that because the show is not contextualizing that as different, it's a yeah. problem, right? Exactly. If that were like we've been fighting as a team every episode, but in this case we need to let Sekai go his own way, it would hit even stronger. Absolutely, yes, 100%. That, that, that it's because every fight is kind of treated that way. They just don't, like, stick a flag in it the way they do with that one because of it literally being these two, like, yeah. brother disciples. Um, yeah, it's My, it's my favorite version of it they do is just the final fight where it is, it's three one-on-ones, basically, but I do like just how kind of crazy it gets and that it's, like, everything gets completely destroyed and it's like very like knockdown drag out but it is still basically everyone kind of 
fighting for themselves in coordination, sort of, is I guess how you would say it. And yeah, none of this bothers me as much as I think it bothers you, Sean, but I don't disagree with the criticism. Yeah, and I do think it's it's something of uh, that I do like that team stuff a lot, and I do kind of look for it. Yeah. And when the show like tells you that's what it's going to be, it annoys me because it ends up I just think like unintentionally telling the story about like you know in basketball terms, it's about like hey, you just want the ball to be passed to you, and so you can score. And it's like it feels like it's unintentionally telling you that message. And to me, it's like that instinctually feels wrong and bad. And it's like stop show. Like I know you're not doing it on purpose. I know you're just trying to have a fun time. But if this is the kind of thing that, like, a good sports anime, to me, would, like, reinforce interesting ideas about cooperation and teamwork and sportsmanship and competition, which is a thing that, like, the original Gundam Build Fighters does do, and this show uh, sort of falls down on for me. One episode that I actually think has an interesting perspective on this in a weird way is the Lucas Nemesis episode. Mm -hmm. Which is the one... So Lucas Nemesis, one fucking great name. Love it. Um, and he is the European champion who, like, comes in as a ringer for this one school. Um, which I really feel like maybe the rules should, like, crack down on that. Um, yes. Yeah. You should... I don't think you can have a, a, a student transfer into your school after your school has already won the preliminary tournament <laughs> that gets you into the Nationals. And then have a student that's just joined your school be on the team for your Nationals tournament. I'm pretty sure that's against the bylaws of some fucking rulebook for this competition. Or it should be, at least. Yes. Um, if it's not, there's a hole in their rules. And, like, there's, there should be totally, like, a scene where Meiji and Kawaguchi sees this and says, did we really not write that in our rules, guys? Let's make a note of that. Um, <laughs> you know, or fix yeah. that next year. That'd be great. But anyway, I like that episode and the whole idea in that one. Because one, one thing this show does less, something I really like that Build Fighters, the original, does, because they have more time with the national tournament, is you have whole episodes where Rey and Seiji aren't fighting. Yeah. And it's just watching other characters have matches. This is basically the only major one of these. It's called um, Blue Wings. It's episode 21. Mm -hmm. And that is where you have the Gunpla Academy, Team Celestial Sphere, facing Von Braun, where Lucas Nemesis is fighting. And Lucas Nemesis has um, the best Gunpla in the tournament, they all say. And it's this cool, it's the Crossbone Gundam Full Cloth from Steel 7. Um, that's actually the closest, Sean, you are saying, like, doesn't do, like, actual. That is yeah. the closest to an existing Gunpla, except, I mean, Crossbone Gundam doesn't have an anime, so it's still kind of the yeah, original. I, I suspect that's why they picked that mobile suit for that scene, is because there isn't, like, a good anime scene you can have as a commercial for the X1 Full Cloth. So they're like, yes. we're going to pick a, like, just a pre-existing mobile suit that's not an original one. Let's pull one from Crossbone that... that yeah you don't already have an anime for. Right. So like I said, that's from Crossbone Steel 7, and it's a really fucking great mobile yeah, suit, and it looks awesome. really cool in this show. And Lucas Nemesis is fighting alone, but he has this interesting team dynamic where he he wants to do all the fighting, but to do that, he's he's basically having his support units just do support for him and refill him and like do all that work. And I think there's actually kind of an interesting dynamic in that episode of like, what is the teamwork there? Because he actually does have a very, like, thought-out teamwork strategy. It's just a very, like, egocentric teamwork strategy that, because the Gunpla Academy kind of knows what they're doing, is able to see through and break. Um, and it, that feels like the kind of thing, like, if you were being a little sharper with it, you would have Team Tri-Fighters watching that, and then they would go, oh, Maybe we're doing something wrong here by, like, yeah. building up Sekai so much, you know? Um, yeah. That episode is a good example of... I think that episode is, like, 80% of the way to where I would want something like that to be. Where it's like, 
it's getting close to, I think, in touching on something interesting about teamwork, but it never really, like, zeroes in on it. Like, I think it is, like, there in the concept of, a, a lot of the concept of how the fight plays out, but it, again, it boils down to Lucas, one-on-one, -on -one fighting Wilfred, which is, like, it needs to be, like, the show needs to have the courage to say, it's fine if you have fucked up and lost your other teammates for multiple, for, like, three people on the other team to attack you. Like, that's fine. That's part of the game. Like, that's not cheap. Um, and that Lucas can't handle that because he gets overwhelmed because he's relying too much on his own strength. Like, if that was more of what that episode was in its climax. But the show is never, like, able to allow that to actually be the end of the fight. It always wants the end of the fight every single time to be a big dramatic one-on-one -on -one between two powerful opponents that each shoot their big super move at each other that's either a big punch or a giant laser or it's like a giant weird flaming phoenix or whatever the shit that Sekai starts doing in the second half of the show and then they collide together and then one of them wins right that's how it wants basically every fight to finish and that's not how team fights finish right it's like a game of basketball doesn't end with one player just storming down the entire court and dunking like that can happen every once in a while but it's about <laughs> team play right that's like that's what you're trying to show and they never really have the courage to show it in the way they design their fights um now i'm imagining like a fucking basketball strategy where it's just all the team members except one grab the other team's arms and like hold them behind their backs while like you know fucking michael jordan runs down the court and dunks <laughs> yes that's basically the equivalent of what the game the this show is trying to do but i, I do mean, think I... that the episode gets close like it's yeah. got some of those ideas there and i do love lucas who's voiced by uh, romy park who just gives a fucking incredible that's who icy. that was yeah yeah it's yeah. just such a strong cool character uh even if he's only in it for like two episodes i thought they were gonna pull like a switcheroo on us because lucas nemesis is so built up i wondered what if he just beat Gunpla Academy and they did a total switcheroo on who the final antagonist is? That would have been kind of... I'm kind of glad they didn't because I don't know how you would have made that work, but it, yeah. you know. I mean, it's a sign of how fucking just unbelievably charismatic Rumi Park is as a performer. Yes. That even though I knew that that's not how the show goes, because I remember... Obviously, like, I know that it's... Because everyone knows, even if you haven't seen the show, you know it's going to be the Gunpla Academy. It would be utter fucking insanity if they had <laughs> right. swapped it out at the last second. With how much they had procrastinated on doing any amount of, like, setup for that last fight, if you then jettisoned all the setup you had done two episodes before the final of the tournament, that would be insane. Even knowing all of that and watching that episode now for a second time, I still at the end was like, I want Lucas to win because I like him yeah. so much. Like, this is, I just love him. I just want to hear more of Roby Park's, like, sexy, fucking, like, cool, like, like guy voice that sounds like he's, like, in a host club or some shit. It's just it's like, I just like this character. I want to see yeah. this. And not only do I want this character to win this fight, I then want this character to just completely body Team Tri Fighters in the finals and just win the whole show because this is how much I like him. Like, yeah, the, the message is no teamwork ever. Yes. Lucas Nemesis, and that's the end. Is like they're all heartbroken because they learned teamwork meant nothing. Oh God! So we, you're saying you want the ultra nihilistic version of yes. Gundam Build Fighters Try? No, and I, I think it's because uh, Romy Park doesn't usually voice characters that old. So like uh -huh. you, yeah. So it's a little like that's. Uh, you're right. It is such a cool like she's getting to like just age up a little more beyond like you know an Edward Elric or a Lauren Sayhack or something like that. It's yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Romy Park. This this podcast is firmly pro Romy Park. I think that is an uncontroversial opinion. <laughs> yeah, she's just what a fucking incredible actress. And yeah, it's because I had for totally yeah. forgotten about that whole character because he's also it's the little boy 
that is the like grandson that the guy who runs Isla's team in the first show. He's like doing that for his grandson. Oh, that's right. who Lucas Nemesis is. Okay, that's a really okay. Now, why wasn't there a Lucas Nemesis OVA? That's such a good story. Uh huh. Oh God, I I watched all the fucking OVAs this weekend. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. We'll talk about it next week. But now, I yeah, why have we not gotten our Lucas Nemesis? I want Lucas Nemesis the movie after they're done with Cuckoo's Doan's Island. Yeah. Yes, it's just the life and times of Lucas Nemesis, please. Yeah, he becomes the next Meiji. It's going to be great. Anyway, um, all right, what else? We should probably wrap this up soon, Sean. Uh, what else do we want to talk about here? We kind of already touched on the final fight a little bit. I told you that I love the, the last montage of the fight. I think it's good. It's well choreographed to the music. I am also a sucker for an insert song. You put a fucking insert song. It could be someone singing Mary Had a Little Lamb in Japanese with a rock guitar behind it, and I'd be into it. You know, but I think it's good. Yeah, like I that that last fight, I think on again, I think on a technical direction level, it's good. But I do think the show has a pretty significant issue that like I just have feel no chemistry at all between the Sekai and Wilfred characters. Like they just there's nothing, there's no rivalry there. There's no sense of like weight or momentum. It's like if you compare it to the equivalent fight between Sei and Reiji and then Meiji and Kawaguchi in the original Build Fighters, it's like utter night and day the difference of like how that feels when you're emotionally invested in both sides of the conflict which you should be like that's a very tropey thing in uh this kind of sports anime is that by the time you get to that last competition you love the opponent as much as you love your main characters because they built them up so well um and i think that's a problem there there's also a very bizarre subplot in that episode that goes absolutely nowhere which is that that the auto saga character that is the guy who you know fucked up Yuma right. when he was a kid he's got like his wrist is hurt and the doctor comes in and is like you gotta stop the fight his wrist is hurt too much and if he keeps on playing he won't be able to use his wrist and they're like what are you doing auto saga you gotta stop he's like i just gotta push through and just win and then it's like what is this it comes basically out of nowhere it has no bearing on anything whatsoever it's such a bizarre subplot that they just shove into this episode out of nowhere it's bizarre to me because i you know how sometimes i said this on gun and build fighters that one of the things i love about build fighters is that from episode one and two you just see the shape of the show and you know where it's going and that is a genuine pleasure of sports movies is yeah. that they are predictable in a good way right uh -huh. i agree at the end of the previous episode before that fight, end of episode 23, you have the doctor come in and say, Otto's arm is fucked up. And I just saw in my head the shape of the next episode and I thought, okay, clearly what's going to happen is the wrist is going to get fucked up and Saga is seemingly about to lose to Yuma. And then Yuma is going to have empathy for the opponent he's wanted to like fight so long. And you would have something like Yuma rips his gunpla's arm off and is like, let's just fight right-handed, right? Uh-huh. That's like the that. uh, that's the obvious story to tell there, right? And like mm -hmm. Otto has like fucked himself up, but Yuma is like confident enough and into and like Yuma has like lost his fear of losing enough to do this. That's the story. And they don't do it. That is probably the most baffling thing in the whole show to me, Sean, because it just feels like it almost feels like that was written and tossed out because it is so clearly the story you're about to tell. Yeah, it's it's it is 
It's really weird because it's the kind of thing that, like, I wouldn't be shocked to in a live-action TV show. Because that happens all the time where it's like, uh, you didn't get all the footage you actually wanted when you were shooting. And now you have to edit it together and it's, like, slightly awkward. Like, you get, like, weird dropped subplots in live-action TV shows all the time. But this is a thing you almost never see in animation because every second is money. Because every second you have yes. to have someone draw this fucking frame, right? Uh, there are so no you, deleted scenes in anime. Exactly. Like, and so it was storyboarded and scripted and all that with that there. And they're just like, it feels like they just ran out of time and they're like, ah, fuck it. Let's just do it this way. Like, we just can't, we can't come up with another way to put all this together in 22 minutes or whatever. We'll just leave this in as this like half finished idea in this last, like second to last episode. It's really fucking weird. Yeah. Yeah, it is weird. But you know, I, like I said, maybe it's just... I don't think it's just. I, I, I don't... I think if art moves you, it's... There's something in it, to you at least. But I do think it's in part just my headspace over the last couple of weeks. But I was in that last episode. I'd been binging the show, and I just wanted to see these crazy kids win and something good happen for them. And it's a good knockdown, drag-out fight. And at the end, you have the destroyed burning Gundam, but it's got its fist and then Sekai has his fist up in the air and they're all hugging and I'm just like yeah, this I'm I'm moved and it worked for me and I get this is imperfect, but fuck it, I liked it. Yeah, I this mean, is the, I, yeah, I'm not surprised that you liked it. Like, you know, <laughs> this is not this is not some mystery to me about like, why don't I like the show the way that Jonathan likes it? I think it's it, you have like a, a stronger, much stronger is, genre attachment to this kind of stuff. This is not a case where you and I are describing like different shows. It's a, it's, it's, I think we see most of the same problems in it. It's yeah. just a degree of like what bothers us and what works for us. And things we agree work probably work better for me. And things we agree don't work don't work more for you. And yeah. that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I really like the final episode. It is goofy as shit. It is basically just a series of gags. I really like it. I think it's one of the funniest episodes in all of Gundam. There's just a, a ratcheting up series of gags that are so good, um, culminating in Minato unveiling the the Fumina gunpla that he made. Yeah. I fucking died laughing. I find this episode very funny. Yeah, I, I overall, I enjoyed the last episode quite a bit. I think I start to lose steam a little bit on it once it gets into the big battle royale fight. It, that goes on a yeah. bit too long for me. But most of, like, the gags for the first two-thirds or so of the episode, I think it's just they land home run after home run. Um, it's, yeah, the, particularly the Super Fumita gag is fucking <laughs> hilarious. Um, yeah. It's so good because it's, again, it's one of those things where you just see the shape of it. Because they start, first someone sees Minato's Gundam and they're like, oh god, but we don't see it. And they're all like, what the hell did he build? And then Hoshino comes in and everyone is giggling because they're looking at Hoshino. And they're like, what did he do? And then and then I just love the gag that he is so confident he's going to win. Of course it goes to Yuma. Minato is super mad. And he gets up there and unveils the Super Fumina. And he has, God, the actor is so good there doing this like really fast-paced like explanation of all the ways. Like, the parts are super like flexible and all of this stuff. Like, the polycaps are perfect and you know all this like extra stuff he's done and everyone's just thinking like but you didn't build a Gundam <laughs> and that's the joke and like Meijin Kawaguchi is just like at a loss like but you didn't build a Gundam kit <laughs> yeah and then he says it's like the worst part of it all is that you didn't even get her permission for it because Sakai yes. is also like a weird creep the best part of that whole sequence the funniest gag by far is Meijin Kawaguchi is announcing the winners and he says the winner is number six 
And then every, and then Sokka's like, oh my god, I won, I yes. won. And then Mishikage is like, wait a second. And he turns to me, paper around and says, it. it's number actually, nine. it's number nine. <laughs> Which is just, I that, get, that joke comes completely out of nowhere. It's so it's, out of character for Meiji Kaguchi to make a dumb mistake like that. But that's what makes it so fucking funny. Because it's an escalating series of gags. What it starts with in the in the whole like winning seek like the 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 like uh, awards ceremony is that first they're announcing the like children's division, and you have that kid who we met earlier in the show in an episode I actually think is a solid little episode from early on. The where boxer you have episode. The, the boxer episode, yeah, and, and like he's fighting because his little brother who loves gunpla is in the hospital, and he's you know very classic sports martial arts kind of thing. He's fighting for his brother, and and the little brother is really the one who makes gunpla, and the little brother has made a really cool gunpla and you think he's gonna win but then it winds up going to Gyonko's little brother and we meet little Gyonko and it's a great gag um but then there's a sweet moment where they decide to become rivals and I like all of that and then after that you get the number six no wait number nine and that gag and then you get Minato on stage doing the super fumina like I just one of the best like 10 minutes of anime comedy I've ever seen it is such a good like like little big bigger build of like comedy yes yeah absolutely it's and that's i think when the show is at its best is when it's like eh, like plot all that who gives a shit like let's just do like a series of gags and it can be a pretty good time um and and i'm glad that they left that last episode just to be like, eh, let's just have some fun and let's just do some jokes. Um, it's, a, it's a good structure. Like, it, it kind of borrows, obviously, from what Gundam Build Fighters does, but it has this big, like, final get-together of all the characters without, like, a big plot thing hanging over it, which is playing to this show's strengths, definitely. Yeah. Um, and this, so the Super Fumina, I take it, has become just giant in uh, Gunpla World because yes. I was looking it up and, and I'm like, there's, like, ten different Super Fuminas to buy if you want a Super Fumina Gunpla. Yes, you know, it was, it's the great innovation of, of Gundam Build Fighters Try is that, like, figurines of, like, heroines from anime series are already very popular. Gunpla is very popular. What if you made them the same thing? And that is, that is the, <laughs> that is the space that Build Fighters Try is innovating in is let's, let's make yes. the anime, let's make the Gundam girls um, and, and make that a thing. All right. So let's say any other final points we want to make. One thing I realize we haven't touched on yet. The other major returning character from the original show is Meijin Kawaguchi, and I love him here. I find him even more entertaining just on like a just a comedy level than he is in the original show because he's completely freed from the angst of Meijin Kawaguchi in the original try where he's or in the original gun from Build Fighters where he's a really great character and rival and all of that. But I like that in this we just kind of get to see him seven years later. He's achieved what he wants to do as Meijin where he is going around inspiring people, but also he's kind of a goofball because he's mm-hmm. someone who would dress up like this and play gunpla all the time. And I just think I every time it cuts to Meijin Kawaguchi, I laugh and have fun and I think he's a great part of this show. Yeah, I, I like him a lot in the show as well. I particularly love his the scene where he like interrupts the gunplot battle and his like red Gundam comes like from on high like Jesus yes. descending through the clouds and like it's in a desert and flowers start blooming and all this shit. Um, and they, you know, the the composer has a lot of fun bringing back and revamping some of the Meijin Kaguchi themes. Like some of that stuff is is very very good. Um, yes, absolutely. Because um, a question I have for you, Jonathan, about the show um, that I was thinking about was how do you feel about the fact that Sekai uses the build burning Gundam and never really has his like own gun plot and he just uses like this leftover from Say for the whole show? Because I have kind of conflicted feelings about that. Like, 
choice for the show. It's weird because, yeah, I don't know. I think for the first half of the show, it makes total sense. And then in the second half of the show, like, there is this really good plot beat, I think, where, um, say, say Yori sends them pieces for the build burning and Yuma gets those and it's a nice little, like, handoff. I think that probably should have been, like, giving pieces and then Sekai makes something out of them that's new. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Because it winds up mostly falling on Yuma. And that alone is is not terrible. Like, Reiji is still fighting in a gunpla he did not build at the end of Gundam Build Fighters, right? Like, we can have that dynamic. Well, at the end of Gundam Build Fighters, he's fighting against, say, with his beginning yes. Gundam that he did build. So Okay, but at the end of the tournament... Okay, but he, no, he wins the tournament with the... You okay, know what yes. I mean. Yes. You know what I'm talking about. Because in the, because at the end of this show, if, if you're making that comparison, then yes, at the end of this show... Um, He's uh, fighting Sekai in a mobile suit that fun. Shia bakes for him, not Sekai. No, no, no. He makes it. He just Shia helps him with it. They do not say sure. that Shia built it for she him. I helps know, him. But... She, it's one hundred percent that Shia makes the fucking bubble suit. Like, come on. Okay. Okay. Sure. But anyway, yeah. I, I think you could have done more with it, but I, it didn't bother me that much. Yeah, I think if there's something kind of like with the team thing. It ends up very like I think unintentionally sending this weird message of like. And what's important about, and we'll talk about this when we get to Try Island Wars, because I think it's fucking hilarious. But the show multiple times says this thing about, like, it's important that you build your own gunpla and your love gunpla and all that stuff. And then it's just like, anyways, here's Sekai. Not only is he not piloting a gunpla that was made by someone on our team, he's piloting a gunpla that was made by an adult person who is a former world champion of the tournament of this sport. It's like, that's fucking ridiculous but if you think about it for half a second it's like the reason why Sekai's winning isn't because he's good at martial arts it's because he's using a gunpla that's better than any other gunpla in the entire fucking show because again he's at a national tournament this is a mobile suit that say made after he was already a world champ right and like was competing on a world level of it the idea that like the show never i think actually grapples with that and it feels just really weird that like the show is like being very hypocritical i think in how it talks about that with sekai that i think i would be pretty fine with it if they had made a much more original mobile suit for the second half that was you know i don't think sekai needs to literally build his own mobile suit from nothing like i they're, they're part of a team if his team builds the mobile suit with him and he gets his own thing that's fine but the fact that it's like for the whole show he's just using this weird hand-me-down from a person he's literally never met who we only see in this show because his chin shows up in one shot and that's it. Like it's just like if you imagine if someone had not seen the original Gundam Build Fighters and just started with Try, like how would they process that? Like how would they think about that? Like it just is such a weird bizarre thing in the show that feels totally unresolved. That's totally fair, and when I say that I think this show overcorrects from the Gundam Sea Destiny problem of not featuring old characters, this is what I mean. I think it, around the time when like they get the new parts for the Build Burning Gundam, Say should be in the show for a little bit. Like yeah. I really feel like what probably should happen in the show is that something happens to the Build Burning Gundam and it is destroyed beyond repair, right? And then I feel like Say should be there for some reason because he's into Gunpla and he's at the tournament or something. Right? And his girlfriend and he, is friend, the older is, sister of yes, one of the yes. main characters of the show. They're like it, easy ways to just get him in. There's here. very easy ways to do it. Exactly. I mean, they have to go out of their way to not have him there. Like they have yeah. to have China there. 
and have china be the one who like is the intermediary and say is off and we never see him um and i feel like if at that point say met sekai and sekai is maybe you move up his arc a little bit where sekai wants to start building gunpla and then say helps him and helps the team do something then you've squared that circle yeah um and that's what i mean when i say i think it overcorrects from the seed destiny lesson because it there's ways to square the circle of the problem you're saying here, Sean. There's many, many ways to do oh, it. But if you don't want to use, say, Yori, it gets hard, right? Uh -huh. um, and so they don't want to use, say, Yori. And I do think there's probably a little bit of, like, Seed Destiny really fucked up when they did that. So we're going to avoid that. And I don't know. They, they overcorrect a little bit. Yeah, it's 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 not the biggest problem with the show, but it is something that I think that combined with like the awkward thematic stuff around the teamwork stuff, just it, it's that's probably the stuff that like annoys me the most. Of like, it feels like the show is telling you one thing and doing something totally different, and like Team Tri Fighters gets to like play by different rules because eh, we don't need to worry about it. We can just use someone else's gun plot, <laughs> and eh, we don't what need to worry about it. We're so good with martial arts, we don't need to do teamwork. But we'll tell you how important teamwork is. We just don't actually have to show you it. What if like at so episode twenty four they beat the gun plot academy? It's same exact episode, but then there's a post credit scene where like Wilfred comes up to Sekai and goes, "That was a magnificent fight. I respect you. Tell me about how you built that gun plot." And Sekai's like, "Oh, I found it in a trophy in our room. I think the former world champ built it." And then like you have Wilfred like his face fall and he like turns to Meijin Kawaguchi and goes. I think they need to be disqualified. Yeah. This is I'm not usually this way, but I think I need to object about this. <laughs> yeah, it would be like, you know, if like, you know, when I was in the Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts when I was a kid, we, we had a thing called the Pine Car Derby where you made a little like model car out of like a thing of wood and put wheels on it. It would be like if I showed up and it wasn't, you know, because a lot of times it's like eh, the dad really made it and the kid barely participated. And that's one thing. But it's like I showed up. It's like, well... You know, the, like, the the boyfriend of my friend's older sister happens to be the world champion pine card derby builder. And I just went into his house and took one of his pine card derbies without asking him and used that in this competition. That's basically what Sekai's doing. And it's like, if you think about it for half a second, it's completely ridiculous. I kind of love it because it is so ridiculous. But you're absolutely right. Um, quick, quick note on the theme songs to this show. We uh -huh. get another back-on theme for the first opening, Cerulean. I really love this song. Yeah. I think it's like a step below maybe Nibu no Ichi, but it's better than Wimp from the last show. And I just I think it's a great Gundam opening. When it's used as an insert song, it's fantastic. I've listened to it a lot. Um, and the full version, this is one you have to hear the full version, mm -hmm. because the middle bridge has references to Nibu no Ichi and Wimp and has some really good lyrics in there. Um, and you don't hear that in the show until the the final fight with where they use this. An insert song and i think it's used very effectively i really like that song absolutely yeah cerulean has been like a a you know a standby in my like j-rock playlist i i go back to that song all the time because it fucking rolls i agree with you it's not quite nibu no ichi level but it's pretty close yeah it's it's closer than you would ever expect as like the sequel to nibu no ichi very yeah. very good uh and i also like the second opening by edge of life just fly away it's not like a masterpiece or anything but i think it's a really solid song yeah, I agree that that it's it's better than your average uh, anime OP, but it's it not amazing. But like, it's 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 good. Yeah, it's it's like when they switch to it, I wasn't sad. It's a good opening. Mm -hmm. um, 
the first ending theme is called Amazing the World, which is a great name for a song by Screen Mode. I really like at least the opening of this where it's go fight, go fight, right, ready. Yes. That's that's a fun song, and I think the animation is really well matched to it. It's it's not like miraculous, but it is a really solid ending to this show. And then you have um, Mayo uh, Mayo Compass Wa Iranai, Straight People Do Not Need a Compass by Stylip S for the second ending, which I actually really like because of how the animation is themed around it. It's a really good ending in terms of like, there's an actual kind of production between the music and animation. And when it ends and like you have all the characters running, I think it's a sweet little song. Yeah, the endings don't stand out to me a lot, but I, I in terms of the songs, I think are good, if not like super memorable to me. But yes, I, I agree that I think it's specifically the animation of the second ending I like a lot, and I would I typically just like sit there and watch it because it's very yeah, it's very pleasing, very soothing. Yeah, I have found in my playlist it's not a song I listen to a ton, but yeah. I didn't skip it much while watching because I think as an actual like produced ending, it's very good. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So. And, and then the main actual uh, soundtrack of the show, again, by Yuki Hayashi, is fucking so good. so good. And, like, while a lot of stuff about Sekai's character annoys me a little bit, uh, the excuse of being able to have a karate boy in the show, meaning that now we get to put a bunch of, like, taiko drums and taiko chanting into our, like, <laughs> rock music, and it gets very Naruto for some of those Sekai themes in a way I fucking love. I just think there's something about that traditional taiko-style uh, Japanese music combined with more modern, modern rock instrumentation it's just it's just a fucking match made in heaven it's like peanut butter and jelly it's two great musical styles that go great together um and whenever they would kick in some of those themes uh like that is that is something where even if on an emotional level in terms of the storytelling a lot of those like big action scenes didn't necessarily do it for me the music is still fucking amazing fucking amazing can't can't speak highly enough about it great soundtrack maybe even better than the first show because it's got all of the first show stuff and then it gets to do more yeah so because this is also the show where they introduce a song so in the first show they had that song that has the countdown that's like embedded in the instrumentation yes. um that's fantastic in this they do introduce a song that starts spelling the word gunpla gunpla yeah. And it's great, yeah. Yes, it's so it it because it's that thing where it's like you're the first couple of times you hear it, you're like, what the fuck is happening? Is like, are they? Is <laughs> is there some weird like robot voice spelling a word in the background? You're like, G U N P L A Gunpla. Holy shit! Uh, not enough shows have weird robotic vocals embedded so deep into the instrumentation. You're not always sure you're even hearing it. Uh, that then is spelling a word from the title of the show. Like that's just like every show should do that. It's fucking great. Fucking great. Love it. Anything else to say about Gundam Build Fighters Try before we uh, leave things off for this week? I, th I think we've covered it pretty well. I think it's yeah. probably like clear why you really like it, why it didn't super work for me. Um, but you know, it's it's. I'm again, I've, I'm glad that you liked it, Jonathan, because I think it's it's always good when you really love a show. Um, and I, I I went into this expecting probably that my feelings on it wouldn't change a whole lot. I do think I like it more having rewatched it than I originally did because some of the pressure of it being a sequel to Build Fighters is off when you know what the show is and you know not to think that Say is going to show up or anything as like a major character later on. Um, but it, it, my feelings didn't like dramatically change. I like it a little bit better. But I did think that you would probably like it and I'm glad that you did. Well, there you go. I'm predictable. That's the lesson. Next time on Weekly Suit Gundam, which will be next week, um, it'll be actually weekly because we're going to have another one for you one week from today, uh, we will be doing an OVA roundup. Do you want to tell us, Sean, the list of OVAs we will be covering for the next episode? 
Yes. So since the Bill Fighters whole project is so successful uh, at selling Gunpla, there have been a lot of random specials and things over the years. So uh, next week on the show for the first ever actually fucking like weekly, weekly suit Gundam, or at least the first one in a very long time, um, we are going to be covering Model Suit Gunpla Builders Beginning G, which is the 2010 three-part OVA that's basically just a 40-minute movie thing. Um, that is where all these ideas originally came from for Build Fighter stuff. Then we're going to also cover the Tri um, OVA that's about 35 minutes long called Tri Island Wars, and then which was 2016. And then in 2017, they did an OVA sort of pseudo sequel kind of thing to uh, Build Fighters that is Build Fighters GM's Counterattack. And then also around the same time as that, they also did a series of five 10 minute long OVAs called the Gundam Build Fighters Battle Log. If you are looking for a physical collection, and like to see this and to make it make sense, all of those, except for that original OVA from 2010, all those are on a Blu-ray set called Build Fighters Specials. So that's basically what we're doing is it's the specials plus this original thing where the whole idea came from originally in 2010. So look forward to that next time on Weekly Suit Gundam. <laughs>